Sportsnet today. Sportsnet 590 fan. Good morning. George Russick, Matt Marchese here for the next three hours. Let's have some fun the next three hours. It's been a tough week in the sports world. Let's have some fun. Jim Ralph, Maple Leafs radio analyst, will join us in about 30 minutes. Leafs and Red Wings tonight. Sal Capaccio from our pals at WGR 550 in Buffalo. Buffalo Bills sideline reporter. Bills and Dolphins tomorrow from Highmark Stadium, a.k.a. the Ralph. Eric Smith, Raptors play-by-play voice at 1030 will join us. I don't know how you can't be super stoked about Scotty Barnes. Josh Clipperton, national hockey writer for the Canadian Press at 11 o'clock. And Jim Munoz, Pickwise NFL analyst and former NFL executive at 11.30, will tee up week eight of the National Football League. Matt, good morning. Um, got a poll question up this morning at Russick SN590 at MattyMar89. And kind of took us by surprise yesterday, the Morgan Riley contract extension. Uh, eight years, $60 million. And good on the Maple Leafs uh, to try that. And again, there's way too many Maple Leaf apologists uh, in Toronto sports media, which is fine. But this whole notion that, uh, oh, it's your own rental, which always drove me crazy. I just think it's bad asset management. Like when you let guys like Zach Hyman and, and Freddie Anderson walk for nothing, sometimes that's bad asset management. And I think Morgan Riley would have been the worst example of that. And I think you and I talked about that, how you can't let a guy like Morgan Riley walk for free and good on the Maple Leafs to signing him to a good contract. And if you think Morgan Riley's overpaid, uh, he was going to make eight, eight and a half million dollars at least on the open market this summer. I think it's a good contract for the Maple Leafs and Morgan Riley. Is it going to look a little wonky at the end of it? Probably. Is the salary cap going to be up by the time his contract's up? Probably. I like the deal for the Maple Leafs and Morgan Riley. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, George, like you talk about the surprise. We talked about it last week on the show saying there's no chance that Morgan Riley is back next year because the money just doesn't work. And the like you mentioned, the deal is a very good deal. Getting Morgan Riley for under $8 million is a big deal. And that's a guy that left money on the table, like you mentioned. And maybe this is a sign. Like I know the, the, the big four guys are signed right now and they took big money and whatever. Well, maybe Nylander you know, makes a little bit less. But maybe this is a sign that some guys actually like playing here and they might take less money. Like, let's be real. John Tavares took less money from the Toronto Maple Leafs than he than he could have gotten from the San Jose Sharks and the New York Islanders. So it's not always the case where the player, as Anthony Stewart would say, wants all the money. But this is a good deal. The fact that it was quiet was also very good for this organization. And it leads us to you know your poll question and the question that I put out on Twitter. I can't help but think who's going to be the guy that's going to get moved to make this work. Yes, they have some money coming off of the cap next season, but we already know the issues that this team has. Their bottom six, their depth players just aren't up to snuff. And unfortunately, uh, you can't you can't have a, a good, well-rounded roster in a lot of cases because you spend your money on your top four guys. And now it's your top five guys. 
Yeah, um, and everyone he wants to reach out uh, and talk about uh, the uh, Phil Kessel dead cap money of one point two million. That's coming off next season. That's gone, so there's plenty of room. Uh, not really when it's just one point two million dollars. So the poll questions up at Russick SN five ninety at Maddie Mar eighty nine at Fan five ninety. Uh, with Morgan Riley's new eight-year, $60 million contract extension, does that mean this is the last season with this current core of Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and Tavares? Yes, no cap space in 22. No, they'll make it work. Surprisingly, no, they'll make it work. 53.8% right now. And, Matt, I'm with you. I don't think there's there's any way they can they can get this done. And quite honestly... If this team flames out of the playoffs and doesn't have a deep run, why would you want to bring this core back intact? Like that that's the question here I think that we're kind of forgetting about it. If the Leafs don't have a successful playoff run, why would you want to bring back this core as currently constructed? Well, you can't. Not not again. Like <laughs> you can't go through this again. You just can't continue to um rehash the same problems like it, what's what's the line about uh the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result that's that's right. what we've seen in this market with this organization over the last you know four or five seasons so in looking at the roster i don't know george i don't think that john tavares is getting moved i don't think austin matthews is getting you moved. can't move john tavares Right, and I and I don't nobody's think taking that, that contract. I'm sorry, nobody's taking that contract no, on. No, and, and we'll talk about that in a second. Go ahead. Sorry. And William Nylander, his his value based on the contract that he has is too good to trade it. So to me, that leaves one guy, and I still think that you can get a really good package for Mitch Marner. But that's that's probably the guy that gets moved. I just don't see a situation. Where like even even if the Leafs get to pass the first round and into the second round, is that really enough to say, hey, you know, we still have to keep this core together? I don't think that that's the answer, George. Like it, they have to get to a a conference final or the Stanley Cup final to justify keeping this core together, in my opinion. I uh, number one, um, the John Tavares contract. It, it's a bad contract. No, I'm sorry. Like. He's not producing at the level of an $11 million player. He's just not. And that's what it took to bring him here. And had a had a, uh, had a show with show on Thursday night, and we kind of talked about this thing. John Tavares, great leader, whatever, but still, like, you, you can't, at this point, you can't trade that contract. Who's taking on $11 million against the cap with John Tavares? Unless well, you you'd get have some money, you'd have to eat and the Leafs yeah. are in no position to eat money. Like, John Tavares is an excellent player. He's also on the bubble of making Team Canada, but he's got a bad deal. Like I, I don't know why we're not talking about that. It's and if you think if Kyle Dubas could do it all over again, he would sign that deal. Well, I I don't think so. But there is a caveat to all this, George, and that's this the pandemic. Nobody saw the pandemic oh, coming. Yes. So what? Right. No so question. when question. So that's that's a big part of would he sign the deal? Would he not sign the deal? Like that's that's where I have a hard time with because um, everybody wants to talk about even the even the Marner contract. Mitch Marner was getting that somewhere else. It didn't matter if it was from the Leafs or if it was from another organization. He was getting that contract somewhere else. If the Leafs decided to trade him or decided to let him like whatever, 
right? Obviously, they weren't going to let him walk. But I'm just saying, he would have got that contract somewhere else. Nobody predicted that the cap would just stop going up because of a global pandemic. I'm sorry, you just you can't predict that. So, will John Tavares is John Tavares's contract not looking great right now? Sure, but if the cap went up five or six million dollars, we wouldn't bat an eye at it because it's just like, well, you know, he signed that contract. We've seen it. So many players that sign those deals and they don't look great, you know, halfway through, but they're a little bit more manageable because the cap continues to go up because of the pandemic, you know, the cap staying flat. That's a huge problem for the Leafs who are a cap team. And are they going to have to do some maneuvering? Sure. Like you mentioned, like I mentioned, John Tavares isn't going anywhere, but something's got to give here, George, something. And it's, and this, the Leafs have just said, we're not worrying about next season right now, which they shouldn't. They should worry about this season, and they'll deal with their cap problems in the summer. I, I fully I fully do believe that. But the other thing that we haven't quite discussed here, and I don't know how many people have, Leafs brass, meaning ownership and Brendan Shanahan, allowed the, Kyle Dubas to get this deal done with Morgan Riley. Does that give us a glimpse into the future of Kyle Dubas, yeah. or am I overthinking this? I, w- I was thinking that too. Um, if Kyle Dubas thinks he's potentially in jeopardy, why? But again, you 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 general manage like you're going to be here long term, and why wouldn't he? Right? He can't think of well, I can't I can't sign Morgan Riley because I'm so desperate to win this season. I might be gone here anyway. Well, you can't general manage like that. And if he believes in this core like he does, he thinks they're going to be successful this season, and he needs to lock down Morgan Riley. Well, so that, hold, that's, on. That... hold on, though, George. I'm just saying I'm saying that the Leafs' ownership and Brendan Shanahan allowed him to do this deal. So, obviously, he has told them about a plan that he has in place to deal with their cap issues yeah. next summer. Because that deal okay, doesn't but... happen without a plan, is what I'm saying. Sure, but why wouldn't Shanahan trust Kyle Dubas because that's his guy? Right? It's, it's he, Yes, he, he's, he, he trusts him, but him. what happens yeah. to this team if they go into the tank again? In the play, what happens to Shanahan? That's a, it's uh, that's what I'm saying. So ownership, everything signed okay, off on yeah. all these deals, right? That's, sure, that's like, I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, we we can talk about doom and gloom all you want about next season and the Toronto Maple Leafs. If the Leafs don't have a successful season, and I don't know what a successful season would entail, but it's minimum make the playoffs and minimum win a round. Everything's off the table on what could happen. The only thing 100%. that's not going to happen, and I'm for certain, is Austin Matthews gets traded because he's not going to get traded unless he asks to be traded, which I don't see that happening either. No, that's the, o- no, that's no, the no. only thing that would be off the table next season for the Leafs if they don't have a successful season. But when you can lock down a guy like Morgan Riley, you, you, you got to do it. We, we've talked about it. You, you got to lock down a guy like Morgan Riley. Where are you going to fill that hole? And everyone talk. Oh, and again, this is what we do in this city. Uh, we talk about uh, these prospects. The Leafs don't have any big prospects coming, Matt. They're very, very thin in the prospect pool. Like who? Rasmus Sandin, great. I mean, he might be a good defenseman. I don't know. You, you got to play two hundred games, and that that holds true even today. You need a two hundred game sample size to whether or not a guy can play at this level. And Rasmus Sandin looks good offensively in times, and he looks horrendous defensively at times. And maybe they looked at what they have on this blue line and what it'll look like moving forward, and they're like, "My God, if we don't have Morgan Riley here, we're in trouble." Because as we've kept hammering home the point, Morgan Riley was going to get paid 
next season. There's no question about that. And if you have a guy who can move the puck and leadership and all of that stuff, the guy who was a dark horse captain to be this team, you want those types of players around. Does Morgan Riley have his warts? Absolutely. Has Morgan Riley improved defensively? Yes. Can he get better? Yes, he can. This is a good deal for the Maple Leafs. This is a good deal for Morgan Riley. And this even appeases the fans because he did take a little less money being here with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And there's a chance that if he spends his entire career with the Maple Leafs and stays healthy, he'll have the most games played as a Toronto Maple Leaf, which would be something he can hang his hat on and probably make a ton of money post-career, post-playing oh, career. For sure. For sure. I so, you know what, George. I, I, yeah. I like that you pointed out that it was a, a great deal for everyone and pointing out that he took less money and that will appease the fan base. This is a fan base that is not very easy to appease at this point, but I do believe, and I can't remember, I think it was Luke Fox on with, with Jeff Merrick yesterday, and he made the point that even the other players on the team at this moment love that Morgan Riley signed that deal to take some of the shine off of them for a little bit. Yes, they did beat the the uh, the Blackhawks earlier this week, but it hasn't been a great start, as we know. Nobody's talking about, well, I guess we're going to talk about it, how badly this team has struggled to score goals this year. Yeah. Why aren't we talking about that? Because Morgan Riley signed a deal. Not that the timing of it is just, it's good timing for the rest of the team. This wasn't done on purpose. When you get the deal done, you get the deal done. It doesn't matter. But I do believe that some of the Leaf players are very happy at this moment namely Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews who haven't produced offensively as of yet, not to the level that we would hope. Uh, and, and they're probably pretty happy right now that they don't have to answer questions about it. Yeah. And, and again, <laughs> that, that game in Chicago uh, was a tough one and, and they, they got that overtime victory and that's great. And they'll play a plucky Red Wings team tonight. But yeah, I, we, we talked about it last week, the hangover that's still, kicking around on this team. Just want to just kind of cycle back to something you said, circle back to something you said about uh, trading-wise. Uh, I actually disagree with you about Nylander. I think he's got the best value for trade, and you can get the most for him based on his contract, right? Well, I'm not, I'm not saying that they won't. I'm saying that, like, yeah. that they won't get value. I'm saying that for the Leafs in their situation, hard to make that move because of his deal. Right, but, but, but at I the see same time, point. I think he's the most desirable piece that they could trade. For sure. So you could potentially uh, add a piece on the blue line. You can add a depth. Uh, well, you don't want you want more. You want a hell of a lot more than depth if you're trading William Nylander. I think you want to bolster your blue line, and you also want to have maybe potentially a third line center here as well. But yeah, I I just don't know how they make it work, and the salary cap eventually will go up. And that's something I talked about with show on Thursday too. Is that and boy, at Brent Gunning on, yeah, nobody saw this terrible awful pandemic come our way and the maple leafs thought that they'd have a ton more flexibility with the salary cap going up year in year out and now i think i don't know because we live uh where we live and we follow the team that we follow i feel like this is screwed over the maple leafs the most when it comes to flexibility and the salary cap or we just focus on the maple leafs the most the tampa bay lightning have done cap gymnastics for years, and uh, they do they did it masterfully, winning a Stanley Cup and Nikita Kucherov on long-term injury reserve. That's fine. He still had major hip surgery, whatever. But I, the cap not going anywhere has really, really hurt the Toronto Maple Leafs, and that's why I think that 
One of those guys is gone, and I don't know who it is. And it's going to look a lot different next season for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But again, I don't know how you can't like the Morgan Riley deal. And that's just the going rate for defensemen. It is unbelievable how defensemen are turning into the most valuable commodity in the NHL with what they're getting paid. Like, look at the money Charlie McAvoy made. Look at the money Seth Jones made. Those are good defensemen, but are they $9 million guys? Like, I don't I don't know anymore. Like, is is Seth Jones that great? Like, if 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 he's been a he's been a disappointment so far in Chicago, is Charlie McAvoy that guy you can put out there for 30 minutes a night? I don't think so. It's just that's the going rate in the National Hockey League for these guys making this money. Look at the money Dougie Hamilton made on the open market. Morgan Riley could have got paid, but he didn't want to go anywhere, and he definitely wanted to to play here. Um, that game against the Blackhawks, talk to David Alter on that show, too, on Thursday. What a weird feel that game had to it with this just disgusting Chicago Blackhawks cover-up of the Kyle Beach situation. Yeah, it was a, a weird vibe coming into the game, and honestly... I really thought that Chicago was going to come out flat just with the whole week that they've had to deal with and players that weren't even involved at the time having to answer questions and all that kind of stuff. It was a, it was a weird game. I do think that the Leafs were flat in the first period, but I thought they were much better in this. Like they fired, you know, 40 shots at Kevin Lankinen that night. And that's where I think, sometimes with this team especially right now is they get into these offensive funks it's just it's not that they it's not that they're not getting chances they just can't score and it feels like that that blow up game is going to happen where they score six or seven and everything goes in um but with everything that's gone on in chicago i really thought that the leafs are going to be able to take advantage of that and the game is probably a lot closer than it should have been because let's face it the Chicago Blackhawks, even before all this stuff came to light, were struggling all year. They were terrible. And it just felt like the Leafs needed to come out better right out of the shoot, and they didn't. They ended up coming back and, and getting the extra point, yes, but you have to see that kind of consistent effort right from the beginning of the game. And taking it, you know, I, I don't I don't like to to you know, talk about the Blackhawks and all they've been dealt with, uh, They all, all they've dealt with, especially this week. But you have to take advantage of teams that are going through something. Unfortunately, that's what sports are. And the Leafs, you know, allowed Chicago to get a point as far as I'm concerned because they didn't take advantage of that. Yeah, um, it was it was weird. It was a very weird game. And Alter was talking about how just it had a funeral feel to it especially in the pregame warm-up, and then things kind of settled in when the actual game started. But, yeah, it was weird, it, especially just out, just literally minutes after we all watched that Kyle Beach interview that uh, the game was played in Chicago. Um, the power play. 27th in the NHL right now as they head into this game with the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, at this point, I, I, don't, I don't even know. Like, we were used to... The Leafs, remember their toughness? The old Mike Babcock quote was, uh, the Leafs' toughness is their power play. Well, their power play ain't really tough right now. Uh, they're just they're tied with the Seattle Kraken at 12% right now. Um, do you see any 
end in sight here. We keep thinking it's going to break through, but at what point does it need drastic changes? Because this thing has been struggling since March. This isn't just this season. It was the end of last season and in the playoffs where they just couldn't get it done with the man advantage. Well, what's interesting is that the second unit seems to look better than the first unit, and the first unit is the one that has all the talent on it. So that's the part that is really concerning to me is that you know, George, I, I know that when you have a power play, you want to have as many guys that can make plays on the ice at the same time. But I do wonder if there's just a little too much. There's not a player on that first unit on the power play that you look at and go, that's a guy that does a bunch of his work away from the puck and can make something happen, whether it be standing in front of the net causing havoc in front of the goalie or getting to the right spot, whatever the case may be. The guys that are on that unit all need to have the puck to make themselves and the people around them better. So I think that's the problem. I, I think there's, you know, we use this we use this term in football. There's just too many mouths to feed. And I think that's the case here. I really do believe that. The power plate doesn't look all that bad, but they're just not scoring. So I do wonder if there is a personnel change that needs to be made. Maybe maybe moving Mitch Marner away from that bumper spot. I, I don't love that that power play setup. I would I like the more traditional one and then just throw the puck around. Whether it be an I, I actually prefer an umbrella where they play Riley at the top and then they have, you know, Matthews on one wing, Nylander on the other, and then they'll have, you know, one guy in front of the net, one guy down low. I don't I just don't love that bumper spot. I don't think that it's adding anything to this leaf power play. And Spencer Carberry was brought in to take over this power play from Manny Malhotra and nothing has changed. It's the same struggles that they've been having. They're not able to score goals. They're creating some chances. I do wonder how much of this is puck luck because they're just it just doesn't seem they're moving the puck around and not doing a lot. It's like they're they're you know emitting a lot of energy. And nothing is coming from it. It seems like a lot of wasted energy right now. Well, so a lot of I it's do on the what, perimeter, right? Yes. Well, that's because they don't have anybody that they put in front of the net. And I think that that's a massive thing. If if Austin Matthews has the puck on his off wing, okay, can he score with the goalie being able to see it? Absolutely he can. Is it easier if they have a big body in front of the net? Like I know Nick Ritchie hasn't played all that well, but would Nick Ritchie not be – a welcome sight in front of the net on that first unit with the shooters that you have there. And then if you need to move somebody off that line, whether it's Tavares or Marner, whatever the case is, but something has to change here because it's the same old, same old, and they're just not scoring at a clip that they probably should be with the talent that they have. Yeah, no question. I'd, I just leave, I would leave Austin Matthews on the right side, this off wing, and just try to one-time the puck a la Alex Ovechkin. Just be that shooter. Try to feed him on his off wing. Leave him there for a while. See if that's going to change anything. That's what I would do. And then try to figure out the rest. Because you're right. Like, it's 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 embarrassingly bad for the amount of talent they're putting out there. Like, when you watch the Oilers power play, they whip the puck around. And they have a guy like, believe it or not, Zach Hyman in front of the net causing havoc. And... I look at a team like the how are the Buffalo Sabers at thirty percent. Good lord! Like the Buffalo Sabers are operating at a th- the Ottawa Senators have a power play that's working at twenty seven percent. 
They don't even have anything nearly close to what the Maple Leafs have talent-wise. Not even in the same stratosphere. And those teams are operating better. It's just, I, I, it's like a mental hurdle. I don't know what it is. Is it too predictable? Probably. But it just doesn't look like as explosive as it was. And it's a lot different now when you're just not playing the Canadian division, Matt. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you play better teams and you don't get the same looks all the time. You know, George, uh, uh, I'll throw out his name here. When I was, when I was playing junior hockey, um, my coach that I had the first couple of years, he coached Jeff O'Neill and he always said the best power plays that he ever played on were ones that the coaches just went out and let you do your thing. And I do wonder if this, there's just an overthinking of this unit right now. And just the power play in general by the coaching staff. Sometimes, as a coach, you just need to let your players play. You need to let them go out and do what they are capable of. Because at this moment, it does feel like they're just overthinking anything. Oh, I got to go to the bumper position. Oh, after the bumper position, I got to go here. Let them throw the puck around. Let them be creative. Have some structure, but it doesn't have to be so defined. Let them go out and let them do their thing. Jim Ralph is the Maple Leafs radio analyst. He'll join us momentarily. We'll tee up this Leafs and Red Wings game tonight. Talk to him about the Morgan Riley extension. And I don't know, like if if Ralphie had a real answer for the power play, I think they'd be using it right now, to be honest with you at this point, because they're desperate to get that thing going. Uh, We'll talk to Ralphie next at the top of the next hour. Talk some bills with our pal Sal Capaccio from WGR 550 in Buffalo. It is Sportsnet today. That's Matt. I'm George. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Check out our poll question at Russick SN 590 at MattyMar89 with Morgan Riley's new eight-year, $60 million contract extension. Does that mean this is the last season with this current core of Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and Tavares? Yes, no cap space in 22. No, they'll make it work. Matty, 54.8% of our listeners are saying, yep, this is the last year of the cap. Last year of this core because of the cap. Blind faith, George. Blind faith. I like it. Um, Well, they hired the guy who literally helped write the salary cap, so I'm sure they could figure something out. (laughs) He would hope so. (laughs) Which was was an absolutely great hire. Um, He is the radio analyst for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We have the Leafs and Red Wings tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. We say good morning to Jim Ralph. Ralphie, how are you? Good, boys. Uh, Thanks for having me on, George and Mary. Oh, thanks for thanks for jumping on. Always fun to talk to you. Um, how surprised were you that you heard of the news that Morgan Riley re-upped for eight years? Well, I mean, it was. Um, I, I don't think they wanted to get to the Zach Hyman scenario, where uh, the only option you really have is to let him go at the end of the year. But you guys are right. I mean, the uh, Brendan Prudham, who is in charge of the salary cap, there is probably the one guy going. Wait, you did what? what what do we have to do now Uh, but I mean I guess you worry about that at the end of the year but um, I just got from at the end of training camp Morgan Riley was was very firm in saying well you know it's a business and we'll see what happens and and I sort of got the feeling then that oh oh, he's he's already made up his mind that he may be gone so uh, they get it done and uh, I guess you worry about next year when next year comes and I, that seems to be exactly what they're doing here, Ralphie. And 
when I look at this Riley signing, it's eight years and the fact that he took less than market value because George and I had this conversation last week. Morgan Riley was probably getting I thought he was getting eight and a half to eight point seven five and he gets significantly less. I mean, a million dollars is not is not much to these guys, but you know, is that is that a sign, a good sign for the Leafs going forward? That hey, players actually do enjoy playing here, and one of them just re up for eight years and took less money than market value. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the um, uh, you know, longest serving Leaf is, is now Morgan Riley, and. Uh, you know, you've got him locked up as, as, you know, potentially your leader over the next few years. But, yeah, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, how true it is that players don't want to play in Toronto. It's because it seems to be one extreme or the other. Like, you have Marcus Foligno or Joe Thornton on one side, or even Jason Spezza saying it was their lifelong dream to play for the Leafs. Um, unfortunately, with so many Europeans and, and Americans in the game, I think a lot of them are, are sort of indifferent to it. But, um, certainly a, a different market and more challenging, but yeah, I think you've got a few guys, um, you know, over the last couple of years that say Toronto's not a bad destination uh, as long as you win. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ralphie, you've watched every game Morgan Riley has played in the NHL. Uh, what have you seen from him that he's improved defensively? Because obviously we've, we know how he can move the puck and his skating, but what have you seen defensively out of Morgan Riley the last couple seasons? I just think it's more simplified that I think even you saw with players like Nicholas Struman, uh, you know, let's, let's reconnect with, uh, Ralphie's phone. It's a little wonky. These things happen. Uh, when these interviews happen, he's not in studio, obviously. Um, We'll reconnect because I want to get his thoughts on that too because that's something that a lot of Leaf fans point to right away, Matt, that he's not good defensively. He's just a guy that can move the puck and give you some apples on the power play. What a, what an oversimplification that is. Really, that, it's an oversimplification. Right. But that's kind of the, the prevailing thought with a lot of Leafs Nation that he's not worth it and he sucks defensively. Well, well, no, like guys like him are at a premium in the NHL who can skate like he does and move the puck the way he does. Well, George, if he sucked so much defensively, would he be one of the defensemen being considered to make Team Canada at the upcoming Olympics? My guess is probably not. Yeah, he's a bubble guy, right? Yeah, but still under consideration. Two years ago, I think he was he was a, he was a front runner to be on the blue line. I yeah. don't think he's on Team Canada, but he's a bubble guy. Yeah, so he can't be that bad defensively. Right. Um, Jim Ralph, Maple Leafs. Are you okay, Ralphie? Your phone just cut out. I was just, just making sure your personal safety's good. You're all right? Yeah. Yeah, hopefully you guys got me a little better this time. Yeah, it's, uh, that sounds a lot sharper. Thank you. Um, just, just your thoughts on Morgan Riley defensively before you kind of cut out there. Uh, I was just saying, like uh, a lot of older guys, whether it was Dano Char later in his career or Nick Lindstrom, uh, it's... It's positioning where you don't have to work as hard. Uh, you just work smarter. And I think that's what you find with, uh, with a lot of defense in the league. That uh, Even when you get to the point of your career, and Morgan Wiley's not there yet, but you might lose a step uh, speed-wise, but uh, you think the game a lot better. And I think from, from Morgan Wiley's standpoint, for the most part, um, it's, it's simplified. He doesn't jump up into the rush on every play. He doesn't pinch on every play. Um, it's a little more defense first, and 
we have an opportunity to, to join the rush, he's, he's very smart at doing that. So uh, I would just say that his, his game is much more simplified where he's, he's not running around as much. It's more, uh, I know where I'm supposed to go and, and I don't have to skate 40 extra feet to get there. Yeah, I, I tried to use the work smart, not hard during my hockey career, and now I'm talking to you on the radio, Ralphie. Um, so let, let's yeah. look at this this Leaf defensive unit as a whole here. And the pair of Muzzin and Hall has really been fighting it this season. It, it's It's been a far cry from where they were last year because I thought they were really good last season together. It, do you think maybe Jake Muzzin is fighting something here? Um, do you think that Sheldon Keefe looks at maybe shuffling the pairs a little bit and, and trying something different going forward? Well, yeah, and it looks like Hall might be a uh, healthy scratch tonight. And so Sandy and uh, uh, Lilligren will be the, the five, six guys, which isn't exactly, I, I guess, the perfect recipe when you look at a shutdown unit to be your five, six guys. But uh, it looks like uh, you may see Dermot with uh, Morgan Riley tonight and um, then you've got Brody and Jake Muzzin. So it looks like the changes are going to be coming tonight. And I think you looked at the first four games. They only gave up seven goals as they were getting Matthews back. And you said, okay, the offense isn't there, but they've been pretty solid defensively. And out of the seven goals, they gave up three in one period in Ottawa. So you thought that's what you liked about the improvement. And then came San Jose, Pittsburgh, and uh, Carolina, which seemed to expose the Leafs defensively. So... Uh, yeah, I think you're no, no different than you know the you know shuffling up the forward lines. That if something's not working, um, you know you, your first option is just to, to shuffle the deck and try to find combinations that do. Rafi, Justin Bourne wrote an interesting piece for Sportsnet.ca talking about how the Maple Leafs are kind of playing slower and they don't look as fast on the ice this season like they have in previous seasons. Do you kind of, have you noticed kind of the same thing and do you have any explanation oh. for it? Oh, absolutely. And at, uh, a lot of it is that first pass out of the zone. You know, if it's not going on the stick of somebody that's moving, uh, you're pretty slow. And, and a lot of times, you know, especially I think when they were searching for offense, you got guys, I don't, I don't want to say cheap, but up ice a lot earlier. And then you've got that big gap between the defense and forwards. And if there's a turnover, uh, you know, you're in some big trouble. So, but yeah, that's the one thing I noticed that, you know, every team that would play the Leafs or even pregame, the coach would always say about how fast the Leafs were, that you have to watch your speed. And, you know, whether it was in on the forward check or off the rush, uh, they just didn't seem to be creating anything. But usually that's that's the first pass out of the zone. You know, if, if you don't have it to go into a guy whose feet are moving, um, I don't care whether you're Mitch Marner or Connor McDavid. Uh, you're going to have a tough time going from zero to 100, you know, through the neutral zone. So, um, you know, it usually starts with, with good defense and everybody coming out together. And if you don't have, if you're not in sync, uh, then you've got guys standing at the at center ice, standing still, and the best they can do is just tip it into the offensive zone. You know, so... And I think you find that on the power play with entries as well. If if you don't have more than one guy carrying the puck over the line in full flight, then um, you know you're going to look slow. And and that's that that to me has been surprising as far as you know, they talk about the offense will take time, but we haven't seen those flashes that we saw last year where they were so good in the transition game and, and so good off the rush. 
does it does it change at all that they've they've really outchanced teams like that that game against Chicago the other night they fired 40 shots at Kevin Lankin and and I thought that after the first period they created a lot of opportunities it, it seems like they're always outchancing and outshooting their opponents and I know shots on goal just because you get one doesn't mean it's a great chance but does it kind of feel like everything is getting to a boiling point here and it's it's like uh, that led zeppelin song when the levy breaks because we're all waiting for we're all waiting for that you know six or seven goal outburst is that what this team needs just to kind of get the weight off their shoulders right now offensively yeah but not if you're gonna win seven six i mean i still think it's got to be defense first like i said the first four games i think you were thrilled with the way they were defensively so it, uh, you know, even though they had the chances against Chicago, I mean, they gave up a lot off the rush, and uh, you know, there was even a play in the third period where Seth Jones walked in from the blue line, and uh, and tried to deke de- Jack Campbell, and you're going, you know, you can talk about all the pressure and, and all the opportunities and shots on goal you have at one end, but if you're giving up chances like that, uh, you're going to be forced to score seven goals a night to win hockey games. So I'm a little more concerned about the defense because I look after that first, and then usually the offense will come. I mean, there's too much talent up front for it not to. But I still think it's, uh, you know, as much as you want to look at shots and, and Marner's stats and Matthew's stats and the early going, uh, I still believe it, it starts with better being better defensively. Uh, Ralphie, the power play continues to be an issue uh, right now near the bottom of the league in the NHL. From a personal level, uh, during the break after the Leafs don't score in the power play, what are you and Joe talking about? Uh, usually it's what the hell's wrong with the power play. <laughs> Do you have any I mean, answers? What? Do you guys have any answers? Uh, well, the one thing we'll discuss is, you know, they're they're going to like a lot of teams have gone to where you've got that, that guy in the bumper spot in the slot, which is Marner now, uh, instead of trying to set up off the wing or the right point. And if if you look at Tampa, who's had great success, now Tampa's also got, you know, when Kucherov was healthy in the lineup, and then you had Stamkos and Hedman. So you had three guys that could one-time bombs from different parts of the ice. Uh, and then Braden Point would be in the bumper spot. If, if there were no lanes available for the one-timer. But you had Alex Kaloran standing right in front of the goaltender the whole time. And and I find if, if Tavares is in that spot, he tends to slide more to the right or left. And if a shot does come through, a lot of times the goaltender has no problem seeing it. So that, that's the only thing, you know, when they talk about we got to get more pucks to the net and we got to shoot more, uh, and that's great. But you have to have, you know, Marner and Matthews both in the line of sight. And, uh, you know, look for the ugly one, the redirection or the screen or or an ugly rebound. So I think that's, you know, when they talk about simplifying it, I think that's where it starts. That uh, you look at every successful power play, uh, there's usually one guy that's considered the slug that'll stand right in front of the net and, uh, you know, risk taking a couple off the ankle, but uh, at least setting up the opportunity to score the ugly ones. And uh, And I don't think that's been in their arsenal so far. Well, and uh, George and I actually just had that conversation. It does feel like there is a bit of a personnel issue because at times I thought that the second unit has looked more dangerous just because they put somebody in front of the net. Like, is there is there a chance that, and I know he hasn't played all that great, but 
is there a chance that maybe a guy like Nick Ritchie is is in that spot in front of the net? A big body who's gonna take his lumps and he's gonna stand in that area. Maybe if it's not him, if it's a, a Wayne Simmons, somebody else, just to give them that other look. Because yes, Austin Matthews can shoot it through a goalie. He can he can beat goalies when they can see it. But it's a heck of a lot easier if there's somebody standing in front of the net. Yeah, and I, and I would say Michael Bunting might even get the the nod over everybody else. He's got pretty good hands and tight, and uh, he's certainly not afraid to. I mean, you can't chop, uh, cross check anybody anymore in front of the net, so that should make it a little easier to get there. But uh, to me, Bunting might be the guy where you say, you know what, he's he's going to stir things up. He's going to get the opposing defenseman and goalie sour at him, and he's going to be jamming after the whistle and. And uh, to me, he might have the, the perfect resume for somebody to, to take on that role. Ralphie, how refreshing is it that the Leafs are playing American teams now? It's almost weird because even last year, it, it almost felt like all the teams in the States were in the KHL. You know, <laughs> it's like you heard about them. You know, you'd sit down and you'd, you'd watch the odd game, but it was just strange that, uh, you know, you never saw them for over a year. So it uh, it is kind of nice. It would be nicer for us, you know. Hopefully, at some point we get back on the road and uh, things are a little closer to normal, which is where we appear to be going. But yet, uh, yeah, even you know at, at Scotiabank Arena to see American teams come in and see those different colors, it'll be the same tonight. Uh, you know, seeing the the Red Wings jerseys in Toronto, um, it, it makes if nothing else, it makes you feel like we're getting a little closer to normal, um, even though we're not quite there yet. Ralphie, uh, as a as a former netminder yourself, can you give us an assessment on Jack Campbell's game so far? It feels like every game he's allowing the one goal, and the one goal is the one that you never want going in because it's a soft one and it deflates the team. We didn't see that a lot from him last year, but I do feel like we're seeing it a little bit more often. And this is a guy that is in a contract year and might be someone that the least look to you know, a little bit more long-term to to be their guy going forward with Peter Mrazek? Well, you know what? I'd, I'd say the, I mean, the Pittsburgh game, they went four, four I think, of the uh, the seven winning off Leafs, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, so that's one of those games where you say, you, you know, you're going to have nights like that. Uh, Carolina, I thought maybe one, but that was the, the, the one that Sandine got beat one-on-one and, uh, and, and Campbell was beat five-hole. Chicago, I didn't see any problem in this game at all. I mean, he, he got beat on, uh, you know, two fifteen footers up under the crossbar. So uh, I'm I'm not too concerned with Jack Campbell's game. Um, the only thing is, I don't think you have that that magic that we had last year, where he was, you know, the surprise or the savior that came in when Freddie Anderson was hurt. Uh, it gets a little more difficult this year because the expectations are there, but. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think that you know. Other than, like I said, one goal against Carolina, and then the, the Pittsburgh game, which was a write-off, uh, really are the only two. I mean, I, I think you've got to give them a lot of credit for stealing points early on. You know, two-one opener against Montreal, and then three-one at home against Ottawa. He gets them a point. The two-one overtime loss against the Rangers. So, I think he's you know out of out of all the places of concern, I'd say Jack Campbell's not even in the top ten. Um, it's well documented, Ralphie, that he's way too hard on himself uh, in net there if he lets in a bad goal. Do you think he's worked on that in the off season? And have you seen anything maybe tangibly different? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's a good sign when you see him give up two goals in the first period in Chicago. 
And now, I mean, like I said, that to me, neither goal was horrible. But now you've got to have the mentality that, okay, that's, I've got to, you know, stop the tide here. And uh, I'm going to have to be perfect the rest of the way to give ourselves a, a chance to win a hockey game. And that's what he was able to do. So that, that's usually tied in with, um, you know what, I can, I can get over a bad start to a hockey game and, and shut it down and give us a chance to win. So I would say if, if you look at the Chicago game, that's, that's a pretty good um, example of, of somebody that can uh, not be too hard on himself during a game and, and sort of clamp down and get the job done. So what do you want to see from the Leafs tonight? It, it does – the Red Wings coming off the back end of a back-to-back. Um, they're, they will be without Tyler Bertuzzi. Like, what What do you want to see right out of the gate from the Leafs? Is it – do you, do they need a quick goal? Do they need a couple of big saves early? I mean, if they get a couple of big saves early, it probably means they're not producing much offensively. But – um, what do you need to see out of them tonight to say, okay, I- I'm confident that this team is going to get out of this little hole that they're in? Yeah, I, I just think to start, you know, you play with energy at the start and uh, you keep your legs moving. And I thought we saw that as the Chicago game went on. We started to see, even though obviously the Hawks, uh, you know, after last night are still without a win, uh, you started to see a little more energy on the four check, uh, whether it was Nylander or Marner. Uh, and guys getting in, and you know, David Camp scores a, a huge goal in the third period. That uh, I think that's what you want to see. If, if you don't have a play, dump it in and go chase it down. Uh, but just play with a lot more energy than we've seen so far. And and Detroit's not going to be easy, even without Bertuzzi. Uh, watching the game last night, uh, to me, they remind me a lot of the Ottawa Senators, where they've got some young talent. Uh, last night against Florida, both goals they score on point shots that are redirected. And then you're going, well, that's how Ottawa does it. You know, they're not afraid to, uh, to jam up the front of the net and throw pucks and try to win some battles. So, uh, you know, this, this is going to be a challenge for them. And uh, we all remember San Jose came in playing three games in four nights uh, and we're still able to win in Toronto. But to me, that's where you want to see a difference. That, okay, you, you got through the game in Chicago, you picked up the point in overtime, uh, let it go to your legs come out and, and just try to dominate and, and dictate the play, you know, the pace of play and, and not have one of those post-game you know, press conferences where you're talking about how well Detroit clogged up the middle and how hard they worked and how they made it difficult for you. I think you know, it's time to say we should be one of the elite teams in the league and from the opening face-off, let's have some energy and go out and prove it. Jim Ralph is the Maple Leafs radio analyst. Him and Joe Bowen will have the call tonight right here of the Red Wings and Maple Leafs on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Ralphie, always a pleasure. Thanks for this. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. 6.30 pregame right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. The Red Wings are plucky. There's two plucky teams in this division, the Red Wings and the Senators, and maybe even the Sabres who are off to a great start, but we're all staring down the barrel of potentially like a 12-game losing streak for Buffalo. I would think so, but I don't know. They were when Don Granado took over last season. They were really good down the stretch. They, yeah. they were nine two and I don't know. I can't remember what the record was, but it was it was very very good. And I, they're carrying it over this season and doing it without Jack Eichel. And and they may be getting some reinforcements because it, it certainly sounds like Jack Eichel may be dealt sooner rather than later. So yeah, I mean I don't know. Are, I just I, I agree with you. I can't see I can't see Craig Anderson and Dustin Tokarski holding up, 
the, the Buffalo net much longer, but so far they've been really good and they're buying into whatever Don Granado is selling them. So I don't know. I don't know, George. It's the division is tough because when I looked at it, I really thought that Ottawa was going to be better than Detroit, but Detroit's got the two goalies, Thomas Grice and, and uh, Alex Nedeljkovich, both very good goaltenders and their defense not so bad. Moritz Sider's been really good. And their forwards, they've got some talent up there. Lucas Raymond, Bertuzzi, Robbie Fabry. Like, we can go down the list. It's not a bad team. Like, they're a tough out. And even coming off the back end, uh, being on the back end of a back-to-back, they are certainly no pushover tonight. No, Lucas Raymond's really fun to watch. Um, yeah, Leafs and Red Wings tonight. We got it for you. Sportsnet 590, the fan, 630 pregame with Gord Stelic, Brent Gunning, Leafs Nation pregame of course have the game and then they'll have Leafs Nation post game straight ahead Matt your Buffalo Bills trying to kick a hole in what they do always beat up the Miami Dolphins uh, tomorrow at the Ralph aka Highmark Stadium we'll talk to Sal Capaccio WGR 550 Buffalo Bills reporter and Eric Smith on the Raptors I don't know how you can't be super excited about Scotty Barnes because he looks like he's going to be an all NBA player within the next two years Okay, let's calm down, but he looks really good right now to begin his young, young, young NBA career. We'll talk about that in the 10 o'clock hour. That's Matt. I'm George at Sportsnet today. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Sportsnet today. Sportsnet 590, the fan. George Russick, Matt Marchese here till noon. Later on this hour, talk about those scorching red hot, well, not really, but just Scotty Barnes. Raptors pick up a win over the Magic. Things got a lot closer at the end there than maybe they should have. But Scotty Barnes was dynamic last night in his first head-to-head matchup with Jalen Suggs as the Raptors pulled it out. And it's unbelievable that all those draft experts, Manny, who were so upset that Scotty Barnes went ahead of Jalen Suggs. Funny how quiet it was on social media last night. It was it was all crickets, George. It was all crickets. and And the talk was that Scotty Barnes just he was going to take some time to develop he's got his game was well-rounded but it needed to be refined at the NBA level (laughs) hasn't looked like that so far he's been incredible and his touch and his energy out there we'll talk to Eric Smith about that but Maddie your Buffalo Bills hosting the Miami Dolphins uh, fresh off a bye after that I don't know if it was a bitter loss to the Titans in Music City but that must have been quite the Two weeks here for Bills Mafia to chew on. Sal Capaccio covers the Bills for our pals at WGR 550 in Buffalo, and he joins us here on Sportsnet today. Sal, how are you? Thanks for this. Yeah, anytime, guys. Thank you. I'm I'm well. Uh, Sal, how tough was it? Like just just from the fan base, uh, just talking about that play at the end of the game. How tough is it to go into your buy on that specific play when Josh's foot just slips a little bit and gets stopped? real tough right I mean anytime you go into a week after a loss and I remember after opening week Emmanuel Sanders saying yeah they knew after that Pittsburgh game he turned to Stephon Diggs and said it's gonna be a long week well now it's gonna be a long two weeks especially after losing like that right I mean that was a heartbreaking loss um but you know you remember guys last year they lost on the Hail Mary at Arizona right before the bye so they had to chew on that for two weeks and then this year they lose on that play going into the bye to chew on that for two weeks so I guess if you want to look at some positive outlook after last year they played their best football of the season after that game and after the bye last year they didn't play great the next week the next game against the chargers they still won but after that they basically just ran over the, every opponent so you know you're hoping the same thing happens here 
Uh, Sal, let me ask you about the play itself for like the billionth time. I'm sure you've been asked about it. Just yeah. I just want to approach it this way. I like the call personally. You go for a win on the road there, especially with your franchise player and how you've been moving the football all the time. The only thing I kind of was a little disappointed in, there was no motion or deception from Brian Dayball, which he does such a phenomenal job of tricking defenses a lot. Yeah, I hear you. I think, um, first of all, I'm with you on the, you know, going for it. I mean, come on. You, you need a half yard, you have Josh Allen, <laughs> right? And right. you need and, a half yard they, to win the game. And they weren't stopping even, them. They weren't stopping them at all. That's right. So let's say you kick a field goal, you get an overtime flip of a coin, and the way that Derrick Henry had been running and the fact that they had scored in their last six possessions, not counting yield downs, you know I mean? You, you, it, it, you're, you're rolling the dice there. Get a half yard, right? I mean, you're going for the win. You're on the road. It's Monday Night Football. Come on. Um, you know, do you really want your defense having a bang into Derrick Henry for another quarter? You know what I mean? I mean, it's just a lot of things go into that decision right there, but you need a half yard. So then you say, okay, we're going to go for it. We're going for the win here. We're being aggressive. Um, you know, Josh Allen sneaking in those situations was, I believe we did some work on this 13 out of 14 or 15 out of 16. And the only time he had not converted was a bot snap. So the chances are you're going to convert. Um, a couple of things happened. His foot came under him. He didn't have great footing, but also the left side of the line got beat. Uh, if Josh goes right, he probably makes it. He goes left, but, you know, he was counting on a few things to go his way. I hear you. Maybe a little more eye candy. I'm not really sure that would have mattered in the end. I think that the, the defensive line for Tennessee was anticipating a sneak and just firing into the A-gaps, and that's what they did, really. They just fired inside, really, um, and they stopped him. So I'm not really sure that would have mattered, but uh, I understand the thought. And, you know, the play before that, so close to a first down, and at the end of the day, they probably got the spot right, but, I don't know if people know, they actually initially signaled for first down and then basically changed it, which was kind of wild. Sal, I was I was uh, wallowing in my Zubas pants while watching that. And I, I agree. I don't know how they didn't get the call from upstairs or from New York just to look at that play. But anyway, it, it doesn't matter. Um, the defense was good to start the game in the Monday nighter. And then Derrick Henry kind of took over. But... Over the course of the season, the Bills' defense has been really, really good and has put the offense in really, really good situations. What have you seen from the pass rush that has made this? Because that's the element that was missing on this defense. What have you seen from them this year that has has made this defense so good? Like, is it just the additions of guys like Boogie Basham and Gregory Rousseau, or are they doing something differently? Well, I think that those additions have helped, especially Basham. Actually, what I would say is, I'm sorry, especially Rousseau. What I would say, it's more the additions of Rousseau and really, by extension, A.J. Epinesa, who had a lost year last year, right? I mean, um, A.J. Epinesa's come in and done a really nice job. And now you have new bodies up front, healthy rotation. They've always rotated their defensive line. Even going back to Carolina with Sean McDermott, that's just his philosophy. Um, so, you know, you don't have that one terror necessarily coming off the edge. Maybe Rousseau you know, morphs into that and becomes that throughout his career. But you have a bunch of guys that, you know, can do it. Um, last game, though, they didn't, guys. And that, and that was a big point of emphasis and concern, which was, hey, this was a Tennessee Titans team that had allowed a lot of sacks. They were leading the league in sacks allowed. You thought that those could really get after them. And they did not get Ryan Tannehill down. They let, allowed him to escape and get out of the pocket. That was a concern. We asked Sean McDermott uh, this week about that. Um, he said he's got to put his guys in a better position to be able to make plays. And, look, I think from what I've seen is, A, the additions have helped. The length has really helped. Rousseau's length, Epinesa's length, Boogie Basham's length. There's no doubt about that. But I also think because now everybody, except for the younger guys, of course, they're in their fourth year together in this defense, their fifth year really for a lot of guys, to be honest with you. 
And I think they're just building on things they can do. You never know where guys are coming from. You see Taron Johnson coming off the slot. You see Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer getting in the box and blitzing. You see linebackers able to do it. And I just think that they've built so much uh, more into this defense that they can go to at certain times, and they can really kind of change on the fly so much easier than most teams. Sal, we, we love to talk about underrated players, not only in the NFL but on teams. Is Matt Milano maybe one of the most underrated players in the NFL? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he's starting to get his due now. I think the, la- the first uh, four weeks or so and until he had his injury – there was finally some, I think, national recognition that people were saying, oh, my gosh, this Milano guy is really good. I'll look at him. And, you know, I think the contract helps. He signed this contract in the offseason and might open some eyes to people like, come on, like Matt Milano, like, yeah, I mean, signed over $10 million a year, but, you know, for the Bills and what they know he can do, he, he was worth it, but I don't think he was necessarily getting the recognition. But, look, part of that is exactly what the Bills want, which is this is not a defense based on superstars and individuals. It's a defense based on a team-oriented approach. Yes, they have really good players. We know Travis White's an all-pro already. We know that um, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer individually are very good, but really it's what makes them good together. It's what makes this defense really good together. And in Matt's case, next to Tremaine Edmonds, you know, Tremaine Edmonds is a very polarizing player in Buffalo, by the way. But I'll say I don't think Matt Milano is as good without Tremaine Edmonds, and I don't think Tremaine Edmonds can do the things without Matt Milano. You know, I mean, they really play off each other really well. And Matt Milano, though, he is sensational. He's a He's a fantastic athlete. I don't think people realize how good of an athlete he is, which is why he does have some of these soft tissue injuries that come up. He, he's about six foot, six one. He plays like he's six five, and he just goes hard, and he does a lot of things that people, normal people just can't do. Uh, it takes great angles. He's really smart. You can't be dumb and go to Boston College, guys, right? I mean, you got to get in that school. So, um, yeah, he, he's a really good player. And, and the other thing, too, is, Sal, is, is, and we've, you know, like you mentioned, Tremaine Edmonds is a polarizing player in Buffalo, but I feel like this season he has just been so much better than he was last year. Like we, we knew he was battling some injuries and probably played through a little bit more than he should have. But Tremaine Edmonds this season, I think has been absolutely incredible and a really nice bounce back from last year. And let's not forget, he's not old, but he's been in the league. What seems like forever. He's, younger than some rookies in the league this year, and he's in his fourth NFL season. That's incredible, right? I mean, he came in at 19, which is amazing. Um, You're right. You know, that's part of the polarization of him, though, which is his detractors say, come on, he's been in the league four years. You can't tell me how young he is. He should be better than he is, and he's not making game-changing plays. I think that's a fair criticism. I think when you draft him 16th overall, you said this incredible physical specimen, you want to see more of the impact game-changing plays from him that he just hasn't made. But I do agree with you that he's also been more consistent this year. He's not a guy that you point to on a weekly basis and go, like, what is he doing? He does sometimes still kind of, I think, struggle with bigger offensive linemen who can get up on him. But, look, that's part of this whole team defense we talk about. That's why you have – that's why it hurt last year. What you say is right about last year. Let's remember last year they didn't have Star Latulale. Star Latulale really helped keep linebackers clean. He's helping keeping them clean this year. Without him – Offensive linemen, the Bills were a very thin and smaller defensive line group. People got out on Tremaine Edmonds. They got out on Matt Milano. They were able to block them a little more. He's not being blocked as much this year. He's able to move around a little more. He's being able to be kept clean because of the difference from last year to this year and now having star. And I think, though, the, the underrated part of Tremaine's game that he doesn't get enough credit for, he's a very good zone coverage linebacker, and it helps he has all that length. But he's around the ball a lot when teams are throwing over the middle. He might not necessarily make the play, but – I think he does alter how a team has to has to play in that situation because of his length. 
And Sal, just to follow up on that, both guys, uh, Milano and Edmonds, are very good cover linebackers. Like I, I don't think that people talk about that enough as well. Does that help now that they're able to drop back into coverage because of the pass rush that they're getting from the front four and allowing the Bills to do different things with their coverages? Yeah, 100%. Look, the Bills are mostly a zone coverage team. They'll play some man-to-man. They're mostly a zone coverage team. Uh, they'd like to just blanket the field with these zone players and with the length that they have with Tremaine Edmonds, obviously, and you know the, the smarts that you have in the secondary with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. They'd love to be able to do that. But if you can't get a pass rush, you know, with those guys, you can't let these receivers run around all day. And they're getting a better pass rush this year. They're getting to the quarterback at a little better rate. Again, didn't do it on Monday night like they should have a couple weeks ago, but they're able to do that. That means you don't have to commit as many guys to the blitz. When you're not getting home, you do have to. By, by contrast, the team they're playing this week, the Miami Dolphins, is exactly opposite. This is a man-to-man defense, Miami, and they have two really good corners, but they're struggling because they can't get home. They can't get a pass rush. There's only so long you can cover guys. People ask me all the time, why does Josh Allen have so much success against success, excuse me, against the Miami Dolphins? And one of the reasons I'll point to is Miami's a very heavy man-to-man team. So those guys got to cover Stephon Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders and Gabriel Davis and last year John Brown and Cole Beasley. But if you're not getting a pass rush, how long can you cover them for, right? So Josh can basically sit back there and wait. And then if he wants to, hey, now, now their backs are turned to me so I can take off and run. The Bills, that's not their philosophy. That's not what they do, and it certainly helps to get home with the pass rush to not have to cover those guys forever. Sal Capaccio covers the Bills for WGR 550 in Buffalo. Joining us here on Sportsnet today, George and Matt, Sportsnet 590, the fans. Sal, what kind of roller coaster is it looking at the strength of schedule for the Buffalo Bills so far? Because it's like we thought the Steelers would be okay, and they beat the Bills early on, and then they lose to the Titans, whose defense struggled okay, and they crush the Chiefs. And I'm not even sure the Chiefs are a playoff team anymore based on that defense, even though they have Patrick Mahomes. And that's crazy to say. And obviously they took care of business against bad teams like Washington, Miami, and Houston. How, how do you gauge the strength of schedule from week to week? Cause it feels like it's just a roller coaster. Well, the bills have not had you no know, necessarily the toughest schedule. And I agree with you that even the teams you thought might be a little bit tougher suddenly don't look that, you know, Kansas city, they're in a dog fight right now just to make the playoffs because of that defense. And Pittsburgh is up and down, and we know now that they're, if, if, I think if the two teams played now, that the result would be different. Um, but they're certainly not a team that we saw week one. They don't look like that. But, look, this isn't college football or basketball, right? Let's say college basketball, for example. I always say, like, it's not like you can just call up a team in non-conference and say, hey, we have an open date. You want to play us? Right? You can't do that. You play who's on your schedule. And then at the end of the year, there's not a committee that gets into the room and says, well, you didn't really play a tough schedule, so we're not going to give you the seed you want. Hey, you can only play who's on your schedule. It's the NFL. The Bills, last year, there were teams in other divisions that had easier schedules because of their crossovers. This year, it's the Bills and the AFC East chance. And look, in their own division, I mean, these teams aren't, aren't really that good. Even New England, no, they're a little hot and cold. Yeah, they could play well at times. But come on, the Bills don't have a really tough division and gauntlet as far as six games, four against Miami and the Jets combined. And then you look at the next three weeks, the Dolphins, the Jags, the Jets. In fact, the Bills have by winning percentage, the easiest schedule in the league throughout from now until the end of the season. They're 4-2 and two right now. There is no reason they should not be 7-2 and two headed into that indie game. And I think the Colts are going to be a pretty good team by then. There's no reason they shouldn't be 7-2 and two and maybe sitting in the first seed in the AFC. And they should make no apologies about that to anyone. It is not an indictment on who they are based on who they played. They could still be a really good team but not have a very tough schedule. 
Well, and we all know that when the NFL does make the schedule for the year prior, there, there are some adjustments that are made based on how good you are the year before. So not the bill's fault. Um, so we've gone about 17 minutes here and we have not talked about the offense, which is incredible because they've been great, but how big of a loss is it going to be to not have Dawson Knox over the next few weeks with that hand injury? Like he, this has been kind of a revelation year for him. You know, there's, we don't have those easy drops that we've seen over the last couple of seasons. He's really, you know, established himself as a really big piece to this offense going forward. Yeah, let's start with Dawson first. You're right. He's had a great season. He's really stepped up in year three. This is a guy that told us in the offseason that he actually went out to California and worked with a hand-eye coordinator specialist, a, a person that's uh, renowned in helping athletes and do all these little tricks, like the eyes on screen. and point. You know, like games you play when you're a kid and it shows up and you got a point to it. It shows up somewhere else, you got a point to it. Like he was doing that you know, for his job, for his profession. He was catching ping pong balls out of a machine that were curving all over the place and weird stuff. But Look back, it looks like it's really helped him, right? His hand-eye his hand -eye coordination. He was raw at the position. He was a college quarterback who was converted to tight end, and he played an offense at Ole Miss that had D.K. Metcalf and A.J. Brown. I mean, they didn't throw to him that much. So he's taken a few years here to kind of really get, get to the position, and look what he's doing now. It's going to be a big loss. There's no doubt about it. And they've really integrated him into the offense, into the personnel packages. He played over 80% of the snaps the last couple of weeks. I think he has over – the X fact, I think he was 55 of 57 snaps he played – two weeks ago um, or a couple weeks ago, maybe it was the Kansas city game, but either way, he's just been playing a lot of football for this team, but, and we don't know how long he's going to be out. Sean McDermott said he's out this week, no timeline after that. So today at 4 PM guys is kind of a, a good indication here. If he is not put on injured reserve by 4 PM today, that's a great indication. The team feels he'll be back next week against Jacksonville or the week after against the jets. If he is put on IR today by 4 PM, he's going to miss three games. I don't think that's the case. Based on what is being talked about, what we're hearing, he's not going to be put on IR. He'll miss one game, maybe two. So what happens now? Well, look, you're not facing the, be the best defenses in the world here with the Dolphins, the Jags, even the Jets. I think they can get by with them, but what do you do? Does that give him more opportunity for Gabriel Davis on the field as a wide receiver, or Jake Kumaro, Isaiah McKenzie? They really like Tommy Sweeney. Tommy Sweeney could catch everything. The guy has tremendous hands. He's just not the athlete Dawson Knox is. He's not the mismatch Dawson Knox is. But they're very, very comfortable in Tommy Sweeney. And this is when a guy like Reggie Gilliam, who is a Swiss Army knife, who can play tight end and fullback and go back and forth, that's when a guy like this comes into play as well. So they're, they're going to make up for his absence by doing a few things, I think, not just one player. But Sweeney and Gilliam really come to mind as guys who benefit. So you mentioned Gabriel Davis there. And, and he's he was – incredible last year as a rookie and I, I really thought that he was going to take the the next step forward in his development despite the fact that Emmanuel Sanders was signed um what's what's been going on with Gabriel Davis he's, he's not used very much in the passing game uh he was a big red zone threat for them last season I believe he had seven touchdowns and this season we've just we haven't seen a lot of Gabriel Davis and we can even look back to the playoff game where he made those two incredible catches against Indianapolis is there something that we're missing here is there a sophomore kind of slump like, like what's going on with Gabriel Davis I don't think it's anything with Gabriel Davis I think it's circumstance of the offense I agree with you. I'd like to see him more. I think you're saying that. You'd like to see him more, right? Let's see. We saw this really explosive, you know, rookie who averaged over 17 yards a catch. He's been targeted only six times all year. I'm sorry. He's only had six catches all year this year. 
you know, through six games. That's obviously like, wow, what is going on? You have to ask yourself. Well, I'll say this. He did have an ankle injury early in the season that I think really did kind of limit him and, you know, his usage that they wanted to kind of back off on him. Now, here we are almost midway through the season. You'd like to see him on the field. But, guys, I think really what it comes down to, it's simple, and it's not sexy to say, but it's true. It's just a numbers game. If you're going to put Dawson Knox on the field and he's this great matchup, well, who comes off? Are you taking Stephon Diggs off? Are you taking Emmanuel Sanders off for what he's doing? Cole Beasley? There's only so many spots for guys to play, right? I mean, so you, you, I think what happens is Brian Dable has to decide, like, how he wants to structure his offense. Do they just want to spread out the field with all these receivers? Do they want to make sure that they have Dawson Knox in the field and protect Josh Allen and keep a running back in? And that's really been the preferred model over the last several weeks, especially after that Pittsburgh game. So I just think he's caught up in circumstances right now, and he'll get his shot. Look, he's in his second year. He's under contract for four years, a rookie contract. We talk about Dawson Knox in his third year. A lot of times that's that jump, the second to third year. As good as he was last year, they could be saying, look, he's in his second year. He's going to make it even. He's going to make the jump. He's going to be our guy in year three. We'll see where it goes. But right now, there's just no room for him on the offense. Sal, before I let you go, um, new stadium talk uh, in Buffalo. I feel like it's kind of uh, quieted down a little bit. Can you give us an update here for our listeners in, in in the Toronto area? What what's the latest on the Bills? Because a lot of fans in Southern Ontario uh, can't wait to get back over the border and watch Buffalo Bills football. Yeah, guys, um, things are progressing. Um, There is optimism and hope that maybe something can get done by the end of the year. Uh, The next couple of weeks are really big for this, not because of the stadium itself, but because of the elections going on here in the States, right? We have a lot of elections coming up over the next couple of weeks. Once a lot of that sorts out, um, who's in charge statewide, who's in charge here in the city, we have a mayoral race going on. All of that stuff needs to kind of shake itself out. And then, more, then the right people can get back to the table on who really needs to be part of the process here. But so far right now, it looks like the Bills, the county, and the state are all on the same page. They all agree a new stadium needs to be put in place. The Bills have their proposal across the street from where it is right now on Abbott Road. Right? Basically, if you go to the games where the ECC South Campus is right around there, that's where they want to put it. I think the, the, the structure of it has been talked about. I mean, there's no renderings. 60 to 65,000 seats, a little smaller, but that's the trend around the league, giving more amenities, less seats, more people are staying at home. So the smaller stadiums here, but more amenities, 80-something percent of the seats uh, will be actually, like, covered for fans. Like, those are the details that are there. What's really the holdup, if you will, is the political financing of it, which is this has got to be a public-private partnership. You know, if you represent Binghamton or Syracuse or Albany, you know, for you to go to constituents and say, we're going to give the Buffalo Bills X amount of money to, to stay in Buffalo, that might not sit well with a lot of your people, right? So you're going to ha- this, is, this is the political game that a lot of these people have to play. But at the same time, everyone agrees that they need a new stadium, and the money is there to give them the new stadium. And if the money isn't spent in Buffalo for a new stadium, it will get spent. It's just going to be part of the budget in some other way. People have to remember that. It's not like your taxes are going to go down if they don't build one, right? So I understand the argument of why would, why would you give taxpayer money to, uh, you know, for owners to have a stadium who are only contributing whatever it's going to be. I don't know, 75. Uh, I mean the state and the taxpayers, 75, 85, 95%. Whatever that is, I understand it doesn't sit well with people. But that's, that's the price of doing business in the NFL and having a football team if you want to keep the Buffalo Bills. And that's what's ultimately going to happen and what people have to decide on. And it's like, 
Sal, what would what would losing the bills mean to that community? Like, it's just not about dollar figures. It would be devastating for that community to lose the Buffalo Bills. Of course, it would. We know that from a psyche standpoint, from a you know um, a relevancy standpoint, if you want, on a lot of levels. Um, even from a tax base standpoint, guys. I mean, the Buffalo Bills, these players, right? I mean, the salary cap. <laughs> you, you think about how much Josh Allen just signed a two hundred fifty-eight million dollar deal over the next you know seven, eight years, whatever. He's got to pay taxes on that, right, when he plays in the city. Think of all the guys. Like, even from that standpoint, that's something, of course, that the state doesn't want to lose. They don't want to lose these players and these people and coming into your city. And you talk about all the people coming from north of the border, coming to games, all that revenue that comes pouring into here for eight to ten weekends a year, basically, for the Buffalo Bills. So, yeah, there's a lot of different elements here. But, look, it's a, the league itself, if you're an owner in another market, you know, I don't know if you care as much about that. You want to make money, and you may say, look, I don't care where the bills go, but get them out of Buffalo because they're so small. I will say, though, even, even though that may be the case, we're not hearing any of that. What we are hearing is owners believe that Buffalo is important because Toronto is sitting there. Not to put them there, but because you want to draw from that fan base. We're hearing that you know, Jerry Jones is very much on this. Jerry Jones is actually – his company owns one of the, um, the, the, the companies – that the Bagulas are working with, you know, as far as all the stadium stuff and looking at it. And Jerry Jones has said, Buffalo is super important. We want to draw from Toronto. We don't want to put them there. And owners are on board. They understand what a market like Buffalo and Kansas City and those and, and Green Bay, those smaller markets mean to the NFL because you need that to, to, to go along with the New Yorks and the LAs and the Chicagos and things like that. So for sure what you're saying is right. And it seems like Everyone is on board. I told you the state, the county, the team, it's all about financing, the political financing of it more than anything. But it also seems like the NFL is on board, and they're basically saying, you guys get this done, and we're cool with it, and let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Sal Capaccio, WGR 550 in Buffalo. Sal, thanks for this. Enjoy the game tomorrow. Okay, guys. Thank you. Matt, how much uh, from a personal level are you itching to get to a Bills game when the border finally reopens? So I'm of two minds on this, George. I do enjoy going, but I couldn't go like every week. You know what I mean? It's, it's hard. Just, it, it's yeah, like, and for I, and now I'm further away from the border, so it's it's an even longer day for me. Do you want impossible feats of uh, of of just human uh, suffering? Uh, if you can stay awake for the Sunday nighter, being from Toronto, that getting up, getting. Getting on that bus at like 6 a.m., tailgating all day, getting all the way back home, and actually staying awake for the Sunday nighter. I think that's impossible if you're from the GTA. 100%. 100%. I actually, the last time I was at a Bills game, they played Tampa Bay, I think, three years ago, four years ago. And I wasn't supposed to drive. I met up with my cousin in Milton. I had my brother and another cousin with me. And we drove up from north of the city to go to Milton to pick up my other cousin. He was supposed to drive. Had a bender the night before. And I'm pretty sure was still intoxicated the next morning. And guess who had to drive? So guess whose day just got a little bit longer. No sleeping in the car for me. Um, And then having to deal with a drunken idiot beside me the whole way there and then the whole way back. I mean, that's so I don't miss those parts, but we never did the bus thing either. We would we would leave, you know, from 6 a.m. or whatever, 530 a.m., get to the stadium around eight. And it's just it's a long, <laughs> long day. Like we yeah. we're sitting in the yeah. we're sitting tailgating at eight o'clock in the morning the until and then we yeah. but George, we wouldn't leave right after the game. Oh, no, no. 
we do the tailgate in the parking lot after so we don't hit the traffic. Yeah. Well, that's my yeah. move uh, when I go to the uh, – well, when pre-pandemic, when I went to um, the Keyback Center to watch the Sabres. Always have a drink after and just miss the the, um, the lineup at that the border. That rush is awful, yes. Yeah. yeah, just miss the lineup at the border. That's all you can do. Have a drink after, chill out, uh, maybe go to the 716, have something to eat, and you're good. Uh, those are veteran moves. Have a couple more drinks, have some food, so you don't sit there in traffic like the rest of the suckers who can't wait to leave. Um, straight ahead, Eric Smith on the Raptors, who are in Indianapolis tonight to square off against the Pacers. Uh, close win last night against the Magic, and Scotty Barnes looked fantastic. We'll talk to Eric Smith about that. And I want to throw a, a Halloween text question to our listeners and to you, Matt, as well, coming up as well. It is Sportsnet today. Matt and George, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Sportsnet today. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. George Russell, Matt Marchese here till noon. At the top of the next hour, we'll talk to Josh Clipperton, national hockey writer for the Canadian Press. Tee up the Leafs and Red Wings. You can hear that game live right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan tonight, 6.30 pregame with Brent Gunning and Gores Delk. Leafs Nation pregame, the game. And then they'll have Leafs Nation postgame after the final horn right here on the fan. And Jim Munoz, pickwise NFL analyst and former NFL executive at 11.30. We'll dive into week eight. Breaking news today. Matt Nagy out. Got COVID-19. He will not be coaching on the sideline for the Bears as they take on the Niners in Chicago today. Uh, later on this hour as well, we're going to fire up the Fan 590 text robot, Matt, that uh, Brent Gunning and Sam McKee were using. Uh, the robot, because it's still Saturday, wants to work, uh, wants to get paid. Uh, the, the text question I want to throw out there to our listeners, is it weird for adults to dress up at work? 590, 590. <laughs> Name and location. Your thoughts on adults dressing up for Halloween at work. 590, 590, name and location. Eric Smith is the radio play-by-play voice of the Raptors for Sportsnet 590, the fan. He joins us. E, how are you? I'm good, guys. How are you doing? Uh, Eric, uh, you and I are sort of uh, the same age. Um, I don't know about you, but I've really noticed that Halloween's really taken on a lot more steam the last few years, a lot more people <laughs> decorating their houses, a lot more enthusiasm when it comes to Halloween. Is it weird for adults to dress up at work for Halloween? Well, first of all, I'll just say this. We might be close in the same age, but I certainly look far better than you, George. So Whoa. Um, let's Whoa. just, okay. uh, you know, make sure we don't put ourselves too closely in the conversation. Okay, well, let's, <laughs> let's not, let's slow down a little bit. One of us has a full head of hair. So if you want to go down that road... <laughs> Uh, I, well, you know, there's, there's, there might be a few patches. Um, okay. All right. Here's, here's, here's we my both have spectacular Halloween. beards. I will say that. We both yeah. have good, solid beards. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Um, all right. Well, here's my take on Halloween before we get to Raptor stuff. And I, I can say this because uh, I don't think my wife and kid are listening. They're doing some sort of shopping, I think, uh, so they can't hear me. I'm not a huge Halloween guy. And maybe it's maybe I'm coming at this from a from a different angle because if I'm not mistaken, I think George, I think you don't have kids. I, I, I I'm not positive. No, I do not. Maybe you might you might want to check just to make sure you know that there's <laughs> nothing floating out there. But um, 
it changed my kids. I'm not a huge Halloween guy. Even as a kid, it was like, what do you want to dress up as? And I, I think for about 10 straight years, I was just, uh, what, can I borrow somebody's construction vest and hard hat? And I just, that was like the quick and easy five seconds before Halloween started, just try and find something to throw on. Uh, but after having kids, it's like you kind of just sort of live vicariously through them or try to make their day better. So as a result, I will be in a full-on Ghostbusters jumpsuit tonight uh, for okay. a little Halloween uh, gathering that we're having in our backyard. Uh, even with the rain, we're trying to figure it all out. And the front of my house is like I take great pleasure every year in filling the trees and bushes with like plastic hatchets and skulls and Pennywise masks and there's lights and there's zombies. And I've got a huge ass inflatable, like jack-o'-lantern thing on my lawn. It's like, it's done up. And I'll tell you the other thing too, not to be, you know, too, you know, whatever, like uh, bring the, bring the level of, of excitement down on them and, and just kind of like, wah, wah. but the last year and a half, almost two years now, it's been crap globally. So if if, yeah. if we can all just kind of make the kids feel better, make ourselves feel better by yeah. throwing up some lawn decorations and slapping on a costume because we're all dealing with so much crap anyways, then why the hell not? Yeah, that's that's a good point. It is a very, very good escape. Um, Eric, did you did you kind of fight the temptation of not retweeting all those uh why did the Raptors take Jalen Suggs <laughs> over Scotty Barnes tweets last night? Uh a little bit, a little bit. Um, I, I, I was I was hoping that last night wouldn't turn into just Barnes versus Suggs and 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 comparing the two because I've said this a bunch of times now in the last couple of months, but certainly in the last like twelve hours or so. And I, I don't know if you guys agree. What what bothered me at the time and what still kind of gets to me is that they're both very good players, and the Raptors didn't reach it's not like they went after the guy that was projected to go 12th or 20th or you know 51st he was by all accounts going fifth to the magic (laughs) they basically just moved up one spot and took the guy that was going to go right away in that five spot anyways if he was still on the board so they passed on a very good guy to select another very good guy who was and is proving to be arguably a better fit for their team, given the fact that they already had Fred Van Vliet and Malachi Flynn. And we didn't know at the time what might happen with Lowry. We assumed he was going, would they get a point guard back in return, et cetera, et cetera. Point being, they already had point guard depth. And that's not to say that Jalen Suggs maybe won't turn out to be better than Van Vliet, better than Flynn, better than even Dragic, who they got in the draft, or excuse me, in the trade. But I think that what they got in Scotty Barnes fit what they needed and also fit the forget what we need, forget position. This guy is a multi-tool player, multi-tool player who plays both ends of the floor, who we think can fit into our system and our style, yada, yada, yada. And they're proving to be damn right at least six games into the season. And he, every every year when a, a player gets drafted, the team goes, oh, he should have gone first overall. And he should. There, there's a legitimate case that you could make in the long term that maybe Scotty Barnes is the best player in this draft. But what have you seen from him so far? Like he had the the rough outing in his first game and and even Nick Nurse said like, you know, it wasn't wasn't that bad. Just kind of got to settle down whatever. He had the six turnovers. But what have you seen kind of gradually as he's progressed even this early in the season from Scotty Barnes that you look at him and go this ceiling is going to be insane for this guy? Yeah, you know, Matt, your, your point, too, about the, 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 the talent in the draft and whether he might end up being the best player, I'll just quickly say the one thing we've seen is, and it maybe goes back to the point I was making, too, about how this was a, a, 
you know, a, a, a deep draft or at least a deep in terms of the top five and with, you know, a, a lot of, um, uh, you know, similarities or we could even talk about even just the parody of different styled players but still damn good players and why a lot of people were speaking about the depth of this draft being akin to when, you know, Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James, and, and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade came into the league and one of the deeper drafts in history. Because take a look at even just what the youngsters are doing right now in the first week and a half of the season. Outside of Cade Cunningham, who hasn't played tonight, or hasn't played this year, excuse me, who I think is playing tonight for Detroit. You know, Mobley's done well. Obviously, we're talking about Barnes and Suggs and certainly Green uh, in, in Houston, too. Um, but to, to Barnes, what has impressed me and maybe why he's vaulted up, uh, you know, so quickly is I think he's shown all of us more on the offensive end than what we anticipated. Uh, and I would argue, I could be wrong with this, I would argue maybe even more than what the organization expected. I don't know that they were thinking he was going to be, you know, a guy that's, that, that, that can't score, that won't score, but he was clearly coming in with all of the defensive hype. You know, he's going to get down in a stance in front of you. He can guard point guards. He can guard fours and fives. He can pretty much guard any position on the floor. He's got the length. He's got the wingspan. He can rebound. He can block shots. He'll go for steals. He's got that, you know, uber, uber excitement and intensity. He's got this infectious personality. This is all the stuff we heard. And it was the offensive game will come. Well, heck, the offensive game looks pretty damn good to me so far. I mean, outside of the fact that he's maybe not knocking down shots a ton from the perimeter, he's also not taking a whole ton of them. He looks pretty good in the mid-range uh, game. He certainly looks great attacking the rim. His handle's better than I think I thought it was going to be in terms of at least when he gets into those one-on-one situations, his ability to beat a guy off the bounce. Look at last night, three dribbles, three steps, sorry, not three dribbles. <laughs> that would be a travel. Three steps from center court for a dunk straight down Main Street. Like I've been beyond impressed with what we've seen offensively. Uh, and if that is something that is this good already, and you assume will only get better in time, man, this guy's got a chance to be real good, and Raptor fans should be extremely excited about what they've seen and what the future can hold. So with that being said, Pascal Siakam, the expectation is probably earliest he'll be back is mid-November, but likely closer to the end of November. As his minutes start to go up, is there any correlation between Pascal's minutes going up and Scotty Barnes's minutes going down or has he just shown enough and and probably will show enough that you just have to have this guy on the floor and those minutes are going to be taken away from somebody else hey I don't know if you guys are doing the show next week as well I'll come on and again with you and admit if I'm wrong but my understanding is that we could see Siakam back as early as this week you know it's not confirmed it's there have been rumblings about that, uh, about Siakam and, and Watanabe being very close to returning. Uh, whether it's this week, whether it's next week, it's coming soon. And and the reason I, you know, I'll come on with you guys anytime. But the reason I was saying about coming on with you is I'll admit if I'm wrong in, in, in saying this, if I'm the coaching staff, if I'm Nick Nurse, there's zero chance that I'm bringing Scotty Barnes off the bench. He's got to continue to start. So I think the conversation now focuses on Precious Achua or Gary Trent Jr. Because you know that Fred Van Vliet's going to continue to start, and you certainly know that OG Ananobi is. And when Pascal's back, he's starting. So there's three, and Barnes is four. So now do you want to go smaller up front with Ananobi, Siakam, and Barnes and bring Precious off the bench? Or do you want to maybe slide OG into the backcourt and have Achua with Siakam and Barnes up front? And at the end of the day, it might not matter because this team, like so many others in today's NBA, is almost playing positionless basketball and guys guarding different positions and whatnot, so it doesn't really matter who's the one, two, three, four, five. Um, I think that at the end of the day, Gary Trent might be the guy that goes to the second unit. 
because of the fact that um, I think the bench, as good as they've been the last couple of games, is lacking a little bit of a scoring punch. And perhaps, um, you know, Trent could be that guy, a guy who's proven to be a solid scorer, a solid shooter, and also, as he proved certainly on the last play of the game last night and many other plays this season, is still defensive-minded and dialed in that would, you know, fit in seamlessly with that defense and the energy that we've seen from Birch and Banton and Boucher and whatnot. Uh, so I don't see that Siakam's return will impact Barnes too much. There might be a few less touches because the ball's moving around and clearly Pascal is going to get his. Um, but I think that the two of them are just going to have to learn to play alongside each other and complement one another. And I, I'd say that's a, a positive problem. So the numbers might go down a little bit for Barnes. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think that his impact overall will be any less. Cause as I say, again, positive problem to have Pascal back, I, you know, just as a quick aside, I think three and three after six games without Pascal Siakam, uh, with the rookie playing the way he is, man, I I I take that based on uh, what it looked like on paper, what it could have looked like on paper uh, versus how it ultimately uh, unfolded for Toronto. Well, Eric, if if Scotty Barnes continues to improve and continues to wow us, does that make a Pascal Siakam trade more likely? And I don't want to say that he's expendable. But uh, if he's going to continue to get more touches and more time on the floor, does that make a Pascal Siakam trade more likely? I don't think so. I mean, I mean, well, listen, I, to answer your question directly, George, I, I mean, yeah, there's no denying that Barnes has been great. And, 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 and does that impact Pascal, though? I don't think so, because why, like, why would you want to trade Pascal Siakam at this point? I guess it all comes down to what you're offered in return and, and you know, who's giving up what, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just in general, if we're like, if there's other than Ben Simmons, if there, and I, I personally, that's what I was alluding to. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think I would do that. I, I, I wouldn't, Hey, again, if I'm wrong, I'll admit it, but I don't think I would do that. I'm not sure if that's the trade I'd be looking to make for that specific player. I would prefer to go forward and say, I got two fantastic players. I got I got a few fantastic players that I think could fit together well together and, and play alongside each other. And, and why trade a, a position of strength or a potential position of strength for something else? I to me, I, I wouldn't do that. I think I think, and I'm not saying you're saying this, George. I think Siakam um, faced too much criticism last year uh, in a year where I still think he was pretty darn good. Um, maybe wasn't as good as the All-Star year, but still had a pretty solid season overall. And I think battling a lot of things off the floor, battling then COVID late in the season, I think Pascal's a hell of a player still, and I'd rather have him on my team than not on my team if, if I was a Raptor fan. So I, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be looking to shop Pascal just because, you know, Scotty Barnes has had six good games to start his career. Eric Smith, Toronto Raptors radio voice, joining us here on Sportsnet today. So, Eric... Uh, when we look at this team offensively, there's not, and, and we knew this going in, there wasn't going to be that elite score that a bunch of other teams have. But when Pascal comes back, it, it gives them another guy that we know can score at this level. Is it just going to be, you know, the scoring by committee type deal with this team going forward? Or do you think that Pascal can emerge as that guy that can be, you know, 26, 27 points a night and have some of the other guys chip in like Scotty Barnes, like Fred Van Vliet, or is it just going to be, you know, a different guy every night that kind of takes the, the, the lead dog role offensively? I, I think it could end up being by committee, Matt. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't anticipate that we're going to see too many nights of Pascal scoring 10 or 12. I still think he'll get his, his, his points and he'll get his touches, but I don't know that the way that this team is built 
Um, even looking back to last year with Kyle Lowry, it was often like that. And I know it was a struggle year. And, and again, COVID and injuries and everything had the Raptors with a whole bunch of different lineups and, and almost having to rely upon a different guy every night. But I think the way that they play, um, the, the versatility that they have, that positionless basketball we talked about, the, the way that the ball moves around and, and how Nick Nurse likes to play, making that extra pass, playing that unselfish ball, I think it's almost more akin to needing to be um, open to being led by somebody different potentially every single night, where it's not, let's just give it to Pascal, dribble down the floor, run a half-court offense, throw it into the post, let Pascal go to work, let Pascal be the decision-maker. And if it's not Pascal, okay, then fine, it's Freddie. I think it's better when it's it's moving around and you can't necessarily know who's going to stop you. And I, I don't want to get too crazy here. I don't know if we're talking about like going on a 50-60 win season and running rush out through the league here. But I think... Uh, I get excited about the possibility of, all right, go down into the post to Pascal. He's clearly shown the ability with those spin moves and those herky-jerky moves he's got around the tin that he can beat a guy one-on-one. So you want to go one-on-one with him and not throw a double team at him? Fine. Put a double team at him, he kicks out to the open look to OG Ananobi in the corner, to Fred Van Bleed on the wing. You want to go Scotty Barnes? Barnes drives to the lane with that length, with that athleticism, his ability to finish at the rim. He gets in the lane. You throw an extra body to come to help. He drops it off on the post to Pascal. He kicks it out and moves it around. I think there's lots of options on this team. Precious to chew it, trying to find that that um, that synergy with Fred Van Vliet for, for those lobs in the lane and finishing above the rim, too. There's a lot of weapons on this team where I think teams, opposing teams now, are going to be forced to simply guard up one-on-one, man up, because if they try and cheat off, and try and throw a double coverage, I think there's so many guys then that can beat you in so many different ways on this team, and that versatility uh, with the offense I think will be a, a major weapon for the Raptors going forward. Eric Smith is the radio voice of the Raptors on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. E, thanks for this. Real quick, too, uh, you're going Ghostbusters tonight. Did you like the remake starring Melissa McCarthy? Uh, I didn't love it. I thought it was okay, but I'm, I, I'm still going with the original. Um, okay. And, and, and I, well, I'll say this. I think the remake was a little bit better than Ghostbusters 2. The original is still the best. But I'm looking forward to seeing this this new one that's coming out with Paul Rudd in another few weeks or whatever. So, And the whole family's going as Ghostbusters tonight, So, including the dog. The dog's got the Ghostbuster outfit on, and he's got even the little the little you know backpack thing, too. He looks miserable when he wears it, but uh, we're, 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 we're a family of Ghostbusters tonight. I love it. Uh, e, thanks for this, pal. All right, guys. There he goes, Eric Smith. Uh, Raptors and Pacers tonight, uh, 7.30 from Indianapolis. Raptors playing the back end of a back-to-back. Um, we're taking your text at 590-590. Is it weird for adults to dress up at work? Um, Matt, uh, Brent Gunning and Sam McKee uh, use the Fan 590 text robot a lot, and the text robot wants to get back in there and get paid and wants to be on our show. So I said, okay, fine. Uh, I, I don't want to take food out of your mouth. Fan 590 text robot. Uh, you you want to hear a couple texts from our, our topic this morning, if it's weird for adults to dress up at work? Sure. Let's do it. All right, uh, uh, Derek, why don't we fire up the robot? Let's do it. Hi, Matt. Hi, George. The hosts keep changing, but I'm still here for the people on Saturday mornings. Get those texts in. The Fan 590 text robot is back. Feed me those hot takes or deep thoughts. <laughs> Don't forget your name. We don't do parts unknown here. Text us at 590-590. Maybe my monotone voice will read them out. 
I like uh, I like that, and it reminds me of one of those phone calls you get that you're getting incarcerated by like the government. One of those scam phone calls. That's exactly what I just heard there. But that's fine. That's fine. Uh, let's get to a text right here. Is it weird for adults to dress up at work? Uh, let's get to Ricky here first. Let's fire up the robot. Let's read a text. Morning, George. Great show. Sorry, Matt. The listener didn't mention you. Ricky from Guelph. Why in the world would you sign Riley for eight years for 7.5? Eight-year contracts are for franchise players like Matthews McDavid. You can get a lot better defenseman for that money. Defensively Riley is one of the most overrated players in the NHL, with the puck he's pretty good. His leadership but defensively he's brutal for that money. And where is this money coming from? Something tells me Rick is against the contract. Yeah, uh, Rick is against the contract. Yeah, we'll get to the the Halloween stuff real quick, too. Um, I think it's funny when people gauge Riley on his defensive deficiencies. He's one of the worst defensively. Based on what? Like, is he getting beat? Based on people that don't know what they're talking about, George. That's that's what it's based on. No, like, I just, I think he's improved defensively, and he has uh, a skill that is very, very... um, important to today's NHL it's that first pass and get the puck out of the zone Morgan Riley and he's an excellent skater like these are the things that are very important to a blue liner and if you don't think an eight-year deal well that's just the going rate yeah Matthew should have been signed to an eight-year deal but seven just under eight million for Morgan Riley is a good contract I I know Lee fans don't want to hear it Matt but he would have got that on the open market like he would have gotten north of eight million dollars this summer as a free agent no question not e- not even a remote possibility that he gets less than $8 million on the open market. That's the thing that gets me too, is you can get elite defensemen for that money. I don't know. Show me where, like I'm, I'm I'll have this information for, you know, a little bit later as I'm looking it up now, but my guess is that you're not getting defensemen that are better than Morgan Riley at that number. That that's just, that to me is crazy. All right, let's get to another one. Let's get to Chris here from our Fan 590 robot. Let's do it. If Leafs underperform this year, they should trade Matthews. He will have two years left on his deal and would fetch a ransom. He won't resign here. He'll go to the U.S. Chris J. Beamsville. Why is everyone so sure he is leaving? Can we get a psychic reading from Teresa Caputo ASAP? (laughs) Uh, I'm not trading Matthews. I... I, I can't unless you're 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 sure he's not going to sign if if Kyle Dubas and they approached him about a contract extension and he's kind of uh, lukewarm to the idea then maybe you because you can't let that guy walk out for free obviously but there's no way you're trading Austin Matthews anytime soon zero chance that's going to happen zero 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 we'll never say words, never Mitchell. but never say never but yeah Wayne Gretzky got never. traded we get that but of course, it's like ninety five percent sure he's not getting traded. I do, I do have the uh, the the contract info, but I know we got to take a break, so we will get to that about players that are paid as much or around the same as Morgan Riley, and then we'll see who we would rather have. Okay, uh, we'll do that after Josh Clipperton, and we also want to get your Halloween text in too. Is it weird? For adults to dress up at work for Halloween, 590-590, name and location. Our Fan 590 text robot would love to read your text on the air. We'll talk some hockey with Joshua Clipperton straight ahead and Josh Monos 
uh, Pickwise NFL analyst and former NFL executive at 1130. We'll dive into week eight. One more hour to go. Sportsnet today, Georgia Matt. Sportsnet 590, the fan. George Russick, Matt Marchese here. Later on this hour, Jim Monos. Pickwise NFL analyst and former NFL executive will dive into week eight. Breaking news this morning, Matt Nagy will not be on the sideline for the Chicago Bears as they host the San Francisco 49ers. That might actually be a good thing for Justin Fields and the Bears, um, potentially, tomorrow as uh, they're underdogs to the Niners. Uh, we love to hear from you on the text line. The Fan 590 robot, we dusted him off. He's ready to read some texts, 590, 590. Is it weird for adults to dress up at work? 590, 590. Uh, we just talked to Eric Smith. He was all about it uh, now, with and he brought up a great point. Uh, it's been a tough year and a half of the pandemic. It's nice to escape into kind of Halloween and get after it. Uh, we got the Leafs and Red Wings on the radio station tonight to talk about that and look around the NHL. Joshua Clipperton, National Hockey League writer for the Canadian Press. Joshua, how are you? Good, guys. How are you doing this morning? Good. Where are you at with uh, adults dressing up at for Halloween at work? Where are you at for that, Joshua? Uh, I'm uh, against it. Uh, it's weird. Okay. <laughs> Unless you're a teacher, I guess. Uh, okay. uh, maybe, maybe a hat, but uh, yeah, I remember it was always weird uh, going to work and seeing someone carrying a briefcase dressed as a clown or something. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely uh, on, 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 I'm firmly on one side. This yeah, is the right are, answer, by the way. Yeah, this is the right answer. Clowns are tough <laughs> uh, to dress up as a clown uh, in today's uh, day and age. Uh, Joshua, what's... What impressed you most about the Maple Leafs' win against the Chicago Blackhawks after being down 2 nothing? when it looked like they could have just folded up shop and went through the motions, but they fought back and picked up the win? What was most impressive to you in that victory? Yeah, no, I, I think the, the way they regrouped, uh, obviously we, we know now things were said uh, in the locker room. Wayne Simmons, one of the, one of the guys that, that apparently stood up, we learned yesterday, and uh, you know, you'd expect guys to stand up. I mean, it's not been good enough for, for most of the season, and that, that first period was, was not good enough against a, a reeling opponent, opponent with a COVID outbreak. Uh, no, they just were, were second best that whole period against a team that, that hadn't even led in the in the NHL this season yet. So, uh, you know, just the resiliency, like you, like you guys mentioned, uh, I thought they were, they were hard on the puck. I, I thought they, you know, they, they, they let their skill do the talking at times, but they were also, you know, sound defensively. Um, so I was I was impressed uh, you know all around with with those forty minutes, but you know it's not about those forty minutes. It's about uh, tonight moving forward and uh, you know going again. Josh, the um, the Riley extension kind of came out of nowhere. It's it's one of those things that we expect something like that to you know get leaked out into the media, and then there's reports on it. It kind of just it felt like it came out of nowhere. So a how good is that for the Maple Leafs that they got this done? efficiently and quietly and not only that but the fact that they got to lock up a really good defenseman for a less than market value deal yeah for sure i mean like that's i mean other than uh the, the marner you know back and forth and, and obviously the kneelander back and forth the leafs don't have a lot of leaks so you don't you don't get a lot of information uh it's a pretty tight ship i think that started with the old shanny and uh then lou lamoureux and how they sort of go about things uh, so that's good from their perspective yeah, definitely uh, came as a bit of a surprise uh, yesterday. I think even more than a more than a bit of a surprise with, uh, with the extension. I think it's a fair deal. Um, he's obviously leaving money on the table. When you look at what guys like Seth Jones and other big name defensemen got uh, got last year, um, and he's got the security. He's got the no move, which you know, uh, twenty thirty is a long. It almost feels like a lifetime from now. So I mean, the world's going to be a different place. Hockey world's going to be a different place. Morgan Riley will be thirty six uh, when the contract ends. But you got. Uh, 
you know, his, his, you know, some good years ahead. Uh, and like you said, below market value is, is, is important. Uh, he's obviously comfortable here. I mean, if, if, if things play out and he's healthy uh, throughout the life of this deal, he'll be the, you know, the games played leader in franchise history. So, which is pretty, pretty remarkable considering, uh, you know, the tumultuous time that he's gone through, uh, you know, since, uh, since getting drafted, you know, a decade ago now, I guess. Um, yeah, they, they get a they get a guy that uh, that that wants to be here and, and took and took less to, to be here, so that that's a positive. He obviously believes in in what they're doing, uh, you know. But, but there's a lot of money committed to a small amount of players, uh, especially next year with the cap not going up. So it'll be interesting to see how they once again uh, maneuver and and you know uh, add pieces around the edges as they've done the last couple seasons. Well, Josh, that leads me to our poll question we have up. Um, is this the last year because of this Morgan Riley extension? Is this the last year where this core will be intact of Tavares, Marner, Matthews, and Nylander? Is there any way they can keep all of those guys together now with this Riley extension kicking in next season? I mean, I, I, I my initial thought was who's getting traded, um, but you know, I would, I wouldn't. Uh, I, who knows? I mean, the, the cap's not going up, but I, I mean, but these guys, uh, especially Brandon Pridham, uh, they they know every single detail. Obviously, Lawrence Gilman was part of the. You know, wrote the wrote the salary cap and and knows the ins and outs of it. Uh, I wouldn't be uh, surprised uh, either way at this point because you know they've just shown that they're able to to, to maneuver maneuver around around those fine lines. Um, that said, I, I think it has a lot to do with how they do. You know, playoffs are, are what matters, as we've we've talked about it for a number of years now. The regular season doesn't really matter. I mean, I think if if that if that group can go on a run and and, and can at least win around and, and show positive. Momentum. I, I think they get to stay together. Uh, I think it's way easier to get rid of somebody um, if if it doesn't work out. And I think that that was sort of the case before the Riley uh, extension. So um, it'll be interesting. You know, Jack Campbell's a uh, pending UFA. We know Jason Spezza will probably come back to the league minimum. But there's other guys they they need to uh, they'll need to lock up. I think they have something like 76 million committed already. And there's obviously uh, holes in the lineup for next season. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. The easy the easy answer would be to trade one of the one of the guys. And I know that. People would probably expect that to be Mitch Marner, but I, I really don't know, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if things go well. They they try to try to make it work and shoehorn everybody in again. This the, the shoehorning thing is just it makes me laugh because we've seen the same thing over and over and over again, and the same thing that we always come back to, and it looks like we probably have that same problem with the Leafs again this year is that they just lack some depth at the, at the bottom of their lineup. They you know, once a, a forward gets hurt, like who's coming into the lineup? And I know in a lot of cases, teams have that problem, but it feels like with the Leafs, it's a lot worse, especially, you know, once, like as as Jeff Merrick pointed out on the radio station this week, you get to Timothy Lilligan really quick on this roster. All it takes is one to go down. So is there is there maybe a rethinking of the organizational structure? If Like even if they only win one round, is that all it's going to take to keep this core together? Is that enough to look at the rest of the roster and go, yeah, you know, we can try this for one more year? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't have the answer, but that, that, that's a good point in terms of, you know, is, is one round enough? And, you know, they are, they are so top-heavy, as we've talked about before. You know, you got three guys with cap hits over over $10 million, only carry. You know, last year was the first time uh, in the salary cap era someone with a, a $10 million cap hit had moved on. From the first round, that was Carey Price, obviously. So, you know, they're they're doing they're going about it differently. Um, you know, injuries are part of the game, as we we saw. You know, with uh, with the U of T goalie having to come in now, it was a strange year with with the cap and not going up. But the Leafs will need the cap to go up. Uh, you know, soon. What do they hold on for another year? 
or two um, with the knowledge that maybe the economics get better and maybe there's, you know, a three, $4 million rise uh, uh, the following year, the year afterwards. Um, but yeah, in terms of injury, they've been relatively, you know, unscathed in terms of their big guys getting hurt. Obviously Matthews was out uh, for a time last season, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good question. A good point about, about the organizational depth. You look at other, other organizations and I hate bringing up you know, teams like the Islanders because of obviously the, the Lamarello connection, but you know, top to bottom, they just, they just have more depth, uh, uh, in, in in their lineup, uh, and they and they can survive some some injuries uh, the way the Leafs might not be able to. But uh, it's a good point by Jeff about the Timothy Lilligren, uh, how quickly you get to him. I mean, he'll be in the lineup tonight, obviously. So I guess you flip that to, with Jay, with uh, Justin Hall. But yeah, after that, there's uh, there's there's not a ton, and and that might be something that they look they look at, uh, you know, moving forward. If if it doesn't work out in the playoffs this year, or if they only get one round, like what do we have to do next? Joshua Clipperton, National Hockey Writer for the Canadian Press. Joining us here on Sportsnet today, George Matt, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Uh, in this division, we see some surprises. Uh, the Senators are plucky. The Sabres are off to a great start. The Red Wings are better than I think a lot of people uh, thought they would be. Out of those three teams, which one do you think will kind of be for real as the season moves along here? Well, I, I honestly think that Ottawa has, has the best chance to be ahead of those other two teams. I don't think anyone's going to be like, you know, legitimately challenging for a playoff spot uh you know come march but you know it's, it's been impressive to see some of the, some of these stories early you know you look at craig anderson in buffalo uh you know and remarkable at, at 40 to, to be putting up the numbers he has uh, you know detroit i watched the game last night with them coming in and, and you know good, good team better team than i expected now, obviously they won't have uh tyler bertuzzi tonight uh because of uh, his vaccination vaccination status but uh impressive start for them so you know up is down a little bit early oh you know, that's what we love about hockey so unpredictable uh you know, a game on frozen water with a <laughs> with a, a rubber puck that bounces everywhere. You know, the game the game sometimes doesn't make sense, and it hasn't made sense in a lot of ways early here. Um, I don't think all those any of those three teams will really be in the mix uh, down the road. Uh, you know, I'm, I'll happily eat my words if, if that's if that's not the case. But uh, you know, some great some great stories to get uh, some fan bases uh, engaged early this season. Let, let's focus on Detroit a little bit here, since they're they're in town to to face the Leafs. You know. At some point, we're going to look at what Steve Eiserman does in, in 10 years and go, wow, he really turned around a, a Red Wings organization that was, in fact, floundering. He decided to keep Jeff Blaschel on as the coach, which was a surprise to many. And, you know, he took more at Cider high in the draft when everybody kind of went, um, hold on a second. They bring in Lucas Raymond. Like, Steve Eiserman's done a lot of good things in Detroit, and they're kind of returning the favor here. Does, does Steve Eiserman get enough credit? We know what he did in Tampa Bay, but does he get enough credit for the turnaround that he's that we've seen in Detroit so far? And how good do we think this team can be going forward? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. Like, I, I don't know if he gets enough credit. I think he's gotten the credit that he's deserved so far because it is early. But he's obviously got a lot of good pieces. Yeah, the Blaschel, uh, keeping Jeff Blaschel was... Uh, was a surprise. Uh, you know, you wonder if he, if he just remains the placeholder because he's sort of been at the top of the next coach to be fired list for a couple of seasons now. Our next coach should not be brought back, but it, but he remains. So obviously, like there's a working relationship there. Uh, Lucas Raymond has really impressed me. I covered him at the World Juniors a couple of years ago uh, in in the Czech Republic, and uh, you know, great 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 talent. Uh, so they got a good one there. More insider as as well. Um, well, we'll have to see about about uh, where where this organization goes. Uh, but it's good to see. Uh, you know, an original six team that had so much success and has had so some really, really lean years uh, sort of on the bounce back. I think it's always good when the original six teams are, are competitive and, 
you know, it, it's just good for the league, uh, especially uh, you know a, a storied franchise franchise like Detroit with that with that beautiful new building they have there. So um, yeah, I think that Steve Eiserman uh, hasn't got the credit maybe they deserve yet, but but I think also that the uh, the jury's still out in a, in, in a way. We'll see how it, how it all sort of shakes out for for that organization. But they're they're definitely on the right track with with some some good young players. <laughs> I looked at Dylan Lark. He's been in the league way longer than I thought. I think he's in his sixth or seventh season now, and uh, you know he, he's a guy that's uh, probably just waiting for for this for this group to to mature because uh, he's been in the league for a long time. But they, but they've got some great pieces. Joshua, obviously, uh, this Kyle Beach Chicago Blackhawks story has been dominating the headlines in the NHL all week. Just from a PR perspective, how do you think the NHL's handled this? Because I'm kind of surprised on some of the the tone deafness from the league when it comes to all of this. Yeah, when I mean, in terms of the team statements, and it, it's kind of goes. I go back to thinking about like like Gary Bevin's a lawyer, right? So he he knows everything is going to possibly come back in a court case. I, I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but the, but that's sort of the way I look at it when it comes to a league. In terms of, of of the language that they that they use, and especially in all these statements, and I, and I think it is we're gonna we're gonna get to hear from Kevin Shoveldayoff apparently uh, sometime next week. I, I thought his statement, especially yesterday, fell fell well short of what people expected. Uh, no no sorry, no no apology, no no real uh, contrition really. Um, you know, just very legally. Uh, I think a lot of people. I mean, just reading all the reactions on Twitter, were were, were disappointed with that. Uh, the league uh, is, you know, is handling this very delicately. Though know, they've made the, the decisions that they've made, um, I was shocked by the Blackhawks and uh, how they, in terms of the players, how the PR department didn't uh, perhaps prepare or, or I don't know what happened with the Jonathan Taves uh, Patrick Kane press conference. Um, it just wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't the way it should have been. Uh, I've dealt with lots of PR people. I got text messages from PR people after that, wondering what the heck was going on there, but. Um, in terms of the league, I think they're just being very careful. Uh, you know, this is the story isn't over. There, there's there could be more lawsuits. There, you know, there's things are still before the courts. So, um, as frustrating as it might be for fans, that you have to under, you do understand it on some level that uh, this is a business and, and they're protecting their interests as much as as much as they can in, in a very difficult uh, circumstance. You know, the I think the the part that kind of worries me the most, maybe not worries me, but still makes me uneasy is the response from guys like Patrick Kane and from Jonathan Taves kind of saying, you know, it sucks that Stan Bowman's not here. Well, you know what? There's for, for every inaction, there's an action. And in this case, this was very significant that, that Kyle Beach's, you know, situation was not brought forth and was not dealt with and was not handled. And I think the tone deafness of players like that, making those, you know, comments. I think that's the part that worries me the most because listen, I I grew up playing hockey. We all did. And there is a toxic culture that goes along with this sport. It's just something that's been around forever. And having players like that, especially someone like Jonathan Taves, who many look to as, you know, this superior leader, I think that's the part that, that kind of gets everybody. And, and that kind of thing shouldn't happen. Whereas on the flip side, a younger player like Alex DeBrinket said, yeah, that this is what needed to happen. Somebody needed to be punished for their inaction, and that's what that's what went on here. But the tone deafness of some of these players—that's the part that kind of bothers me. Yeah, and I may, maybe maybe Taves and Kane were, were just too close to. These. I mean, they you know they've grown up with this organization. I'm not making excuses for them, but 
you know, I think I think I think what you're focusing on focusing on Debrinkin is, is the way is is the way you is the, is the right way to go. And and Taylor Hall as well in Boston, some some very strong point of quotes about hockey culture and how cu- culture, all cultures have to change and move forward. Especially how you know, we've there's been a reckoning in a lot of cultures in the last you know 18 months and and, and longer um, in a lot of ways. So um, yeah, obviously disappointing for a lot of people. The Taves comments. Um, Kane as well, but but positive uh, in in the fact that a, a kid like Debrinket, who's who's you know in his, in his early twenties, wasn't there for that, but he can he's not he's not connected to the situation the same way that others are. And then Taylor Hall, completely on the outside, uh, you know uh, you know ma- making his views, his strong views felt uh, on 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 what has to happen and what has to change. And you know uh, it's it's complicated. It's not going to take. It's not going to it's not going to be easy for 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 a league and a and a and a, and a hockey culture like you said to. To, to change overnight, but but I think I, I, I choose to focus as much as it is negative on on some of the comments we've heard. There, there's been a lot of a lot of love and support, uh, even from NHLers, uh, uh, you know, past and and present, um, to uh, to offer their support to Kyle Beach, and and I, th- I think that's that's a positive and one positive in a in a very uh, you know a, a terrible situation. Joshua Clipperton covers the National Hockey League for the Canadian Press. Joshua, thanks for this today. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Um, Leafs and Red Wings tonight. Leafs Nation pregame with Gord Stellick and Brent Gunning. Then the Leafs and Red Wings, and then they'll have Leafs Nation postgame as well right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan. It is Sportsnet today. George Russick, Matt Marchese. In about 10 minutes, we'll talk to Jim Monos. Pickwise NFL analyst and former NFL executive will dive into week eight. Breaking news this morning, Matt Nagy will not be on the sideline for the Chicago Bears as they host the San Francisco 49ers tomorrow. But we want to have some fun. Uh, the Fan 590 text robot, uh, we've dusted him off. Uh, he's been wanting him back into the action. And we've opened up the text line to you at 590-590. Name and location, please. Is it weird for adults to dress up at work? Uh, I think we got some texts ready for us here. Um, the Fan 590 text robots ready to fire them out here. Uh, Producer Derek, can we get to a couple? Let's do one right now. Okay, hey, George and Jeremy. Matt, it's Jeremy right. from Toronto. I'm fully down for adults to wear costumes to work. Breaks up the monotony, especially when a co-worker goes somewhere unexpected or risky with a costume. Now I work for Toronto Public Library, so it's a pretty different environment than most. Um, what is it? <laughs> and thank you for the text, Jeremy. Uh, Matt, what does that mean when it's risky? Is it something where a co-worker is maybe revealing a little too much? You're like, whoa, really went there for Halloween here. And then you're like, wow, this I feel awkward around you right now. Yeah, it, well, I, I'm just not a fan of people dressing up at work like so my wife it's funny because i mentioned to my wife last night that we were going to be talking about adults and halloween costumes and she said just make sure that you don't make fun of teachers okay okay the teacher thing i get that i get we had people (laughs) grown-ass men walking around the rogers campus during halloween fully dressed up and i'm just like listen i'm not i like halloween because you know, the kids get to have some fun and, and they I enjoy giving out candy, whatever. But adults dressing up for Halloween, it's like, come on. Even for part, like, do we really need Halloween parties? Do we need to 
have an excuse to like to go hey we need to dress up to have a party no this is ridiculous and adults dressing up as why do you work, hate fun why i do don't hate, hate fun? fun no i i have no issue with the kids having their fun but we need to society needs to grow up a little bit george i've just adults dressing up for halloween i also never liked halloween dressing up i was much like eric smith mentioned as a kid it was like whatever was the last minute thing like one year i went dressed up as zorro I look like a like as an adult because I needed to go to some stupid party, and I look back on it saying, "You're an idiot. Why did you? You like don't you, need. To, why yeah, did you pick Zorro? Well, because it was the easiest costume. I had a cape already. I had some stupid hat, and why I just shaved cape? from a previous costume from years. Oh, ago. Okay, all right. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't like. <laughs> did it you was wear a cape? That's yeah, I'm not judging. No, I did. And then I had some stupid, <laughs> some stupid like bandana thing that I cut eye holes into and I had the mustache yeah. and everything. You know what? I, I probably have a picture of it uh, uh, somewhere and I, I might be able to post it. But like I look back on it like, what a moron. You're such a loser. I just eh, I'm not going to dress up and hand out candy to kids. Like I know there's some people that do that. That's next level. I'm sorry. That ain't happening that's in the Casey household. Like that's okay. I I think that's good. I I like when people have spirit. But you're right. Like at the Rogers campus, all of a sudden, you know, Steve in accounting is rocking like a full clown outfit. You're like, this is weird, and he's sitting <laughs> if, there just doing his work. If there like, is a Steve in accounting, he's offended right now. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how are you doing? How are you doing your work right now in that outfit? Five ninety, five ninety. Name and location. Is it weird for adults to dress up? At work. Let's get to another text from our Fan 590 text robot. Let's do it. Hey, George, it's you, Crown Majesty. You have a charge against you. <laughs> Plus, dressing up is amazing. Dave. In very. <laughs> oh, no. By the way, I always like, I always press one to talk to them. No. Come on, really? No. Yeah, I press one. I like to talk to them. Okay, what? Okay, George, what's worse? The automated calls where it says, this is the CRA. You are yeah. being charged. Yeah, that or, hi, this is air duct cleaning services. Which is worse? Oh, that's it's tough. They're tough. Yeah, it's tough. Those, those, that, that, that's a toss-up. But I like to talk, I like to press one for the fraud one. They're, they're my favorite. <laughs> and then I just like to eviscerate the other person on the other line. It's well, the best. Do, do we the, get the, oh, all right? Let's best? get to one more. Before oh, we got you. one more. Okay, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, all right. Let's get to one more from the fan five ninety text robot. Let's do it. Was at a junior game in Kitchener last night, and a grown man was dressed up as Jason, <laughs> mask on all night. Absolute weirdo. <laughs> Kyle in Paris. Kyle, I'm surprised Jason followed COVID protocol by keeping his mask on. <laughs> Never trust people in jumpsuits. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. He did keep. Does a, does a zipper mask count as COVID friendly? Um, a good good for. I, I see that's weird. You're at a game. You're dressed up as Jason the whole time. See that's weird. That's weird. Oh, hundred. That is that's next level. That's worse than dressing up as the office uh, in the office. As far as I'm concerned, it has to be. It's totally creepy. And the fact that the guy didn't take off the the mask at any point during the game. I mean. He's really committed, I will say that, and he's probably a good em employee because he's so committed to his craft. But at some point, you got to look and go, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe I need to read the room a bit. Yeah, um, probably not. 
not the best idea. Keep them rolling in, 590, 590. Our text robot wants to work and read your text. Is it weird for adults to dress up for Halloween? Uh, my buddy Rob uh, sent me a personal text message. Adults dressing up at work is a cry for attention. <laughs> oh, it, oh like, man. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, there's well, some truth to that, but that... <laughs> That was a little brutal. We we but it was too good this. not to share. We've seen this in the past. It gives people an excuse to look different, right? That's how they. Yeah. It's like, oh well, it's a Halloween costume. In some cases, they Again, go just a tad bit overboard, George. Sure. Like I like it's, fun. It's a little much. I like fun. I like being in the spirit of things. I, I do really enjoy that. It's just sometimes it's just weird. If you want to dress up and hand out candy to kids, that's cool. That's fun, right? You have your lawn decked out or you have like a little mini haunted house that the kids walk through before you hand out candy. That's awesome. Like stuff like that is awesome. But Stephen Accounting dressed up as Jason doing his work at the Rogers campus on Friday. It's a little could weird. Have, it's a little imagine? weird. See, there. It's just sitting there, and then you, you look over in like your cubicle, and you see this guy dressed up as Jason or Michael Myers. And you go, "Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, where, Freddy where are you at? Yeah, it's life? a little weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a little weird. They're just, oh, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, and Jason are all they're all chatting and having a conversation by the water cooler on the Halloween. That would be a sight, and I'm sure it's yeah, happened at the Rogers 590. campus." 590, 590, name and location. Uh, we'll get to some more of your texts. Is it weird for adults to dress up at work? Straight ahead, we'll talk week eight of the National Football League. Jim Monos, Pickwise NFL analyst and former NFL executive, will join us. Sportsnet today, Georgia Matt. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Sportsnet 590, the fan. George Russell, Matt Marchese. Text coming in fast and furious. Whether or not you should dress up as an adult if you go to work. Or if you're an adult, do you dress up at work? Not if you go to work, dress up like an adult. That doesn't make any sense. Um, a, oh, lot of, a lot of reaction out there. The uh, the guy <laughs> dressed up as Jason the whole time at the junior hockey game was... That's awesome and weird at the same time. <laughs> I don't know whether or not to applaud the guy or kind of give him that you know sideways look like, really? All, that, all night? The uh, whole night? Applaud him or file a restraining order. I don't know which one's more pertinent. Yeah, and of course it's Jason, right? You're wearing the old work one suit jumper thing. Yeah, that's a little weird. It's a little weird. Uh, keep them coming in 590, 590. Uh, we'll read uh, some of those. Our fan 590 text robot. Uh, we'll read some of those as we wrap up the show. But first, week eight, one game already in the books. Lots of news already heading into week eight. Jim Monos is a Pickwise NFL analyst and former NFL executive. You can hear Jim on Pickwise's Let's Bet It on Mondays. Jim, how are you? Guys, how you guys doing? I appreciate you having me on. No, thanks for jumping on. We're excited. Um, Matt Nagy won't be on the sidelines for the Chicago Bears because of COVID-19 tomorrow against the Niners. Jim, is that necessarily a bad thing for Justin Fields and the Bears at this point? You know, it's hard for me. Matt, um, my father, I'm from central Pennsylvania where Matt Nagy's from. Uh, my father has known him for a long time. Um, so I was kind of pulling for Matt as a head coach, but I got to say, watching these guys every week on tape, uh, no, I don't think this is a bad thing. I, I said, I said somebody this week, he can write a book after he gets fired on how to destroy rookie quarterbacks. It is, it's insane what they're trying to do with a talented guy in Justin Fields. Um, I, I would love to see like a team like the Patriots, what they would do with Justin Fields, you know, um, just because 
how they, they, they cater to the talents of their quarterback. So, no, I don't think it's going to hurt the Bears. Jim, and, and as, it, as we talk about Justin Fields, so full disclosure, I had Justin Fields ranked ahead of Trevor Lawrence uh, going into this draft. And clearly, I don't have the football acumen that you do, but I do know that Justin Fields is a really talented quarterback. And what we've known, what we've come to know is that Justin Fields is really good when they run play action. The numbers don't lie. His completion percentage is much better. And when I look at the failures of Justin Fields this season, I, I do blame the quarterback for bad decision-making, but that's a rookie quarterback and that happens. But in the same breath, how much of this is a failure from the organizational standpoint that they just don't have the offensive line talent and the fact that the play calling just hasn't been there to give this guy the best chance to succeed? Well, first of all, you wouldn't be wrong. Like, there's no such thing as right or wrong on if you had Fields ahead of Lawrence. But I, the talent, if you really evaluated them in college, both of those guys to me were just off the chart talented. So to your point, yes. You have to have a plan for these rookie quarterbacks. Um, I've been talking about this a lot. In fact, I just talked to E.J. Manuel the other day on a podcast, our Bill Long podcast. And we, I told E.J. when I was the director of personnel with Buffalo, I don't think we had a great plan for him. Whether or not he was ever going to be good enough talent-wise, our plan for him was not good. And I told him that. And, and he really appreciated that and admitted. And he really went into how much has to – you have to have a three-, four-year set plan to get the best out of some of these rookie quarterbacks. I always thought, I look what Carolina did, you know, when Cam Newton came in there. And they catered to Cam Newton's talent. They changed their, you know, their offense catered to Cam. And, and, and it, it flourished. And if you're going to trade up and take Justin Fields, wouldn't you think you would have every single thing in place for him to succeed? And it just seems the opposite way, like you said. And, yeah. You know, a lot of these guys don't have great offensive lines. You know, I don't like to use that always as an excuse, but it's true. I mean, he is he is back there getting destroyed. But if you're asking him to drop back and go through progression, you have to have a good offensive line. So, yeah, it's the plan in Chicago seems off. Um, is, isn't that more of just an organizational thing when you talk about developing young quarterbacks? Because seemingly the Jets have spent a ton of draft capital taking guys high in the draft and things just don't work out. Is that just because some organizations have bad ownership and bad management that it, regardless of who they pick, it's just not going to pan out? Yeah, you feel that way when you watch the Jets, too, a little bit with Zach Wilson. Um, just because, once again, when you watch him every week, you see the talent, but they are asking him to do everything, and he's not ready for that yet. And, and the game is so fast for these guys. And really, when you watch the Patriots, I keep going back to the Patriots because they're the one team that gets it. But Mac Jones, I, you can watch. They, they scored 54 points, whatever it was, against the Jets. And I swear to you, he, he didn't make one throw that would blow your mind away in that game. It was still very controlled. Um, they're doing some gimmick stuff, you know, getting the receivers involved, throwing some trick play passes. And I just really admire how they're trying to get the best out of Mac Jones when you see the Jets, the Bears throwing these quarterbacks saying, please do everything. And the Bears do run the ball well, which you would think if you could run the ball well, you would think the plan would be to what you guys are talking about, more play action and more getting him outside of the pocket a little bit. Or you just go out and hire Ryan Day from Ohio State after the season and, and try to get this thing right. 
So, Jim, I didn't intend this to be a rookie quarterbacks conversation, but here we are. Um, so the Niners are two and four. The playoffs, yeah. the way that they've played the night, it just seems like the playoffs are just so far gone for them already. But they've got Jimmy Garoppolo healthy. Trey Lance is healthy. Is there a situation where you can see Kyle Shanahan just saying, you know what? We may have to punt on this season, but we do need to get Trey Lance some reps here and, and he needs to get some valuable experience. And who knows? Trey Lance may end up being the better quarterback on the roster this season. Um, is there is there an issue with development in San Francisco? And is there a chance that maybe, just maybe, we overrate Kyle Shanahan as a head coach? I like the, the, the Shanahan thing. I, I thought the 49ers would be pretty good this year. I, Garoppolo is a below-average starting quarterback. I think we're all, we all would agree on that. And I think what we're seeing is that the plan for Trey Lance, I think the plan was for him to really sit this year. And, and I give them credit for that because I don't feel like they're rushing him into action. Yeah, he started when Garoppolo was hurt. And to be honest, guys, he looked just like a rookie. He was, he was missing throws. Um, he has a long windup. Uh, he's not seeing things real fast. Now, his deep ball's pretty. Obviously, he's got the big arm. And he's scrambling around. You know, he runs, he runs around straight ahead pretty well. He looked like he needed time to sit. I will say that. Now, to your other point, when do you say, hey, this season's a wrap. Let's get him in. And let's just throw him to the fire and see what happens. I would think they should do it soon. I believe in getting these guys in there. Um, if you're not, if you're all in agreement as an organization moving forward, hey, obviously he's going to be the starter next year. We can trade up the draft and to sit another year. But I always say, look what the Chiefs did with Mahomes. You know, it, it, it went a long way. And, and it, it makes me think that the 49ers did have a plan, but that plan to, at this point is very, it, it just isn't going to work. I mean, this team is struggling bad on Garoppolo is not playing like a veteran quarterback. Jim Monos, Pickwise NFL analyst and former NFL executive. You can hear Jim on Pickwise's Let's Bet It on Mondays. Joining us here, Sportsnet today, George and Matt. Sportsnet, 590 The Fan. Um, Jim, when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously some it's, it's surprising where they are right now. More losses already than they have in the last two seasons combined. Are the Chiefs a playoff team with that defense? We've been discussing this a lot, and I, it's hard for me. I'm such a believer in, obviously, quarterback and then defense. And to me, I don't think they're a playoff team in this AFC right now with the way their defense is playing. And Steve Spagnuolo, I wrote about this a couple weeks ago, but I don't, I don't know if he keeps his job. Um, I, I was with him in New Orleans, and we had a historic we, – we had the most yards given up in the history of the NFL defense that year with him as our defensive coordinator. So – I've seen this happen with his defenses, and he's won Super Bowls before with loaded talent on defense. But when he doesn't have all the things in place, these guys get confused. I had players on the Saints used to tell me they never understood what he was asking out of the defense, and they play that way. I, it's hard for me to sit there and watch, and you're seeing Mahomes just starting to feel the pressure of we have to score all the time. And that's tough, and, and we're seeing, you know, we're seeing him kind of. We saw at Texas Tech a little bit coming out of college. I'm seeing it a little bit now with Mahomes, where all this, you know, the fun, crazy playmaking that he does and gets away with in the past years, he's not getting away with all the time right now. And the defense isn't there to bail them out, and they're not playing with leads anymore. So it's hard for me. I don't think they're a playoff team with this defense. No, I don't. 
on the offensive side of the ball there, it does seem like the Bills gave the rest of the league the blueprint, I guess, to stopping the, the Chiefs offense. But when we look at Patrick Mahomes specifically, I saw Dan Orlovsky did a really uh, good breakdown of him. And Patrick Mahomes just not sitting in the pocket, not climbing the pocket. And it's almost as if he can't feel the pressure coming and he just immediately aborts and he's playing well outside the pocket. Is there is there a little bit of the league has kind of figured out the Kansas City offense? The fact that everything rolls through Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey without really, you know, McCole Hardman has some weeks where he flashes. The running game has been basically non-existent. Do the Chiefs have to do some adjusting on their own end to ensure that their offense can at least keep them in games? Because opposing defenses the last three or four re- weeks have done a really, really good job on them. Yeah, and I like Orlovsky, and I agree with that statement. And, and that was another thing at Texas Tech that was always concerning was you never saw Mahomes step up. And, and when you, whenever I always feel this way with quarterbacks, whenever your their first reaction is to just bail and not step up and find things, I always think they're not seeing things or they're not feeling things correctly. And to your point, Mahomes is just – I don't know if teams have caught up to this Chiefs defense. I don't want to get too crazy because they're still – they're still, you know, they're still number one on third down offense. They're still fifth in yards per play, you know, on offense. So they are still doing some really good things. I don't want to get too carried away on their offense. And, and it is all – Mahomes is still playing at a high, high level. He's just kind of spoiled up the last year as being unstoppable. And I think what teams have done is at least found a way to say, hey, maybe we can take Tyreek Hill out or maybe we can, you know, force the pressure up the middle, get Mahomes, you know, scrambling around a little bit. So – I think teams have at least found some ways to maybe control their offense, but I, I can't sit there and say the teams have figured out Kansas City's offense yet. I, I, I have a feeling Monday night's going to be interesting against the Giants. That Giants defense isn't really played very well. I think we'll see some, some good um, uh, scoring for the Chiefs. Jim, is it too crazy to say the team that's on this bye in this AFC West, the Las Vegas Raiders, are the most complete team in that division? I, you know, I'm fascinated with that team. I, I've never been a big John Gruden fan, and it's almost like Carr has, feel, has freedom now. He doesn't feel like he's going to get, you know, you know, and I know Carr always speaks highly of Gruden, but let's face it, anybody that has been in the NFL, Gruden is a control guy that is hard, hard, hard on the quarterbacks, relentless almost. And it's almost like that Carr is playing almost free right now. And it's kind of interesting to watch. I don't know if they're the most complete team, but they certainly are. Um, I, I respect their defense a lot more this year. They made efforts to get better on defense, and you're seeing a little bit of improvement. And Carr is a good quarterback. Carr is a good quarterback. And I'd like to see them continue to try to run the ball and not put all the pressure on Carr. But the AFC is just going to be – it's going to be a loaded playoff. It's going to be fun to watch. So, Jim, uh, another AFC team. Now we look at the AFC North. The Cleveland Browns, it looks like – Baker Mayfield's going to play tomorrow. I don't know how. I don't know why. Um, but it does feel like he might be better off just to take some time here. Or or does he kind of look at this like he's a gamer? Obviously, Baker Mayfield wants to play. We understand that. But he's he's in need of a contract extension. Is there any way that him playing through injury, despite whatever the numbers may show, might create some sort of endearment from the organization in his contract talks because he's not getting Josh Allen money. He's not going to get whatever Lamar Jackson gets. And it feels like even $35 million for Baker Mayfield is a lot, but is there some sort of 
like Baker endears himself to the organization by playing through injury here? This is a good question. I like this. So my history of guys that do are hurt, I do not think guys rush back unless they feel like they can put their best effort out there. So, I, and I don't think a team would rush him back either. So I think the medical, he, he's been cleared medically. They must have seen enough in practice where he can do everything that they need him to do for the offense to beat the Steelers this week. I do not think he would rush back to, for this contract. I think he has probably done enough to what you guys said. And this is how contracts work. He's not going to get the Lamar and Josh Allen money. He's not. But he is going to get, he is going to be, I think the Browns do keep him. And I think he is good enough for them. You know, what's the answer? You know, what's their answer if they don't have Baker Mayfield? He's certainly good enough. And he needs to play better. He does. He needs to take one more step. But I don't think he's rushing back for his contract. I, I don't think that's just the history that I know of these players. Their agents don't recommend playing. It, guys will tell you if you're hurt at all, hey, hey, don't put bad tape out there. That's the one thing they always talk about, to not put bad film out there. So I, I always – we know Baker, like you guys said, we know Baker Mayfield's tough. I mean, he does. He plays he, – the guy, the guy will play through injuries. But I don't think they're rushing him back. Jim, how much uh, Tom Brady fatigue do all of us have that if it was any other quarterback putting up the numbers that he's put up so far this season, that that they'd be far and away the runaway favorite to win the MVP right now? I know. It's almost like they talk about that like Michael Jordan, LeBron James, right? I mean, shouldn't they just get the MVP every year? It's almost like we're we're almost not even paying attention to the numbers he's putting up. It is. That's a great – I couldn't – I really do agree with it. I mean – for him to be putting up the stats that he's putting up and, and to watch them play offense, it's just really fun. I mean, they, they're doing everything right. They use every single weapon. Um, they're, they're just, a, they, they protect him very well. He's not getting hit. You know, it, it, you're right. It's almost like we're just, we almost ignore it. But yes, he should be in the MVP conversation. Yeah, he has been phenomenal for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> uh, Jim, uh, pleasure. Thanks for doing this this morning. Yeah, guys, I appreciate it, too. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Um, I've got some college football. we got some horse racing today. And then take, a, take our minds off for the NFL tomorrow. Nice. Uh, ponies are never a bad thing. Uh, Jim Monos, uh, Pickwise NFL analyst and former NFL executive. You can hear Jim on Pickwise's Let's Bet It on Mondays. Jim, thanks for this. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. Little ponies as well there uh, on a Saturday with U.S college football uh matt got a couple minutes here to go uh before we wrap things up things fly on saturday mornings uh when you and i do a show at least for me anyway uh, maybe it's a slog for you but things fly uh when you and i do a show together a poll question wrapping up right now at russick sn 590 with morgan riley's new eight-year 60 million dollar contract extension does that mean that this is the last season with the current core of matthews marner nylander and tavares over 300 votes, uh, 58.5% of our listeners say, Matt, yep, it's the last year because you ain't got no cap, cap space next year. Did that? Did we have some swing votes there? Because I felt like it was drastically in, in the other direction earlier on today. Yeah. Wow. People have finally big come to their votes. senses. Yeah. Big, Almost. What, what, what was the swing province? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Probably Manitoba. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. But uh, a lot of people, almost 60% saying, yep, don't get used to this core. We're done. Uh, You're not going to be able to do it with 
Morgan Riley's new extension. And it'll be fascinating what the offseason does look like for the Maple Leafs, but still obviously a ton of season to go here and a lot of high expectations for the Toronto Maple Leafs. All right, before we wrap things up, send out a poll question, 590-590, a name and location. Our fan 590 text robot wants to get into the action. Um, is it weird for adults to dress up at work? Uh, the robot wants to read a couple more here before we go. Derek, what do we got? If the office does a full-blown Halloween party, it's fine to dress up if you're one of 50 going all out. Stop trying so hard. I'm willing to bet my 2002 Civic fully loaded, VTech. I think we need some Stevie B since we are talking about Civics in the bridge. There, that's better. Back to the text. Matthews is going nowhere. I am also willing to bet my 2002 Civic VTech that the Leafs are going something like 811 in their next 10. Okay. Yes, it's weird to dress up in your office. I once wore a name tag that read useless and said I was my boss. Didn't sit too well. Dan from the bridge. <laughs> yeah, that's not a... <laughs> that That's what we call the CLM, the career limiting move, George. Yes. Not not ideal to wear a name tag that sounds useless. Yes, I know. Uh, we got the obligatory text. Uh, why are you talking about Halloween on the sports radio station? Yes, of course. Uh, let's not have any fun ever. Nope. And I thought school. I was bad with the fun police. Jeez. Yeah. Right away, you, you know that was coming. Okay, yes. Let's not have any fun. Uh, let's break down uh, every single thing. We talked sports for 95% of the show. We can also have... A little bit of fun. And yes, the texter who sent in, uh, to me it sounds really insecure to be making fun of adults who wear a costume to work. Yes, uh, Matt and I were terribly insecure <laughs> apparently too. It's like, yeah. oh my God. We, we People sit, got to overanalyze everything. Everyone's offended by everything now. It's like, we, it's just weird when Stephen Accounting's wearing a Jason mask doing his work. At- yeah, George, we're so insecure that we talk, we talk on a radio that is... Uh, a radio station where people are openly criticizing us and we show yes. up to work every single week. So, so insecure. So insecure. It's the best job oh, to do no. if you're very insecure. I apologize. <laughs> yeah. Can we slide one more in, Derek? You want to slide one more? All right, Dressing slide up one more. at work for Halloween, it's not weird if your job involves you dealing with children like a teacher or a daycare center employee, but if your profession has you dealing solely with other adults, it's a little weird to go dressed in full costume to work as far as handing out candy is. Wearing okay. a costume, that is the time to wear a costume. If you were an adult without children, when the kids come to your house to get that candy, it is your job to scare the crap out of them before giving them that candy. <laughs> Boy, that needed some punctuation. I'd be out of breath if I needed air. <laughs> I like it. Uh, we'll fire up the Fan 590 text robot next week. Uh, thanks for all your texts. Enjoy Halloween. Matt, this was fun. Let's do it next Saturday. Let's do it, George. Have a good uh, a good betting Sunday. Uh, let's hope uh, we have a good betting Sunday and all you fantasy football players out there as well. Best of luck uh, to your teams. That's it for us. We'll talk to you next Saturday. I'll be back tomorrow for some Inside the Lines from 10 till 1 p.m. Don't forget, Leafs and Red Wings tonight pregame at 6.30. We'll talk to you then. Bye.